BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Wednesday, May 29th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson returns. We welcome back our good friend and host of Humanity in the Headlines, Atiba Buchanan. And it's the return of our favorite grassroots organizer, the one, the only, Amisha Patel. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Finally Found a Couple of Honest Conservatives Wednesday. And here's why. Needed an editor for that headline. <laughs> that was a lot of words there. There's a lot going on in that headline, as you shall see. For the last few weeks, folks have been on a search for a Republican, any Republican, who would apply the same principles to themselves as they apply to others. For instance, if you think it would be wrong for a foreign country to interfere into a presidential election to benefit a Democrat over a Republican. And man, if that had happened, could you imagine the howl coming from Republicans right now? Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, if you think that would be wrong for Russians to do that to benefit a Republican, then you should say the same thing if they do it to benefit a Republican. Like, to pick one example, Putin. Having his hackers hacking the Democratic computers to help Trump beat Clinton. But so far, there are hardly any to be found. They're so afraid of getting criticized by Donald Trump in a tweet that they're hiding under the table, D. Stay under there. Hey, come on. Hey. I'm scared. Get out from I'm under there. I'm really scared. Oh, I'll let him hide. I'm really, really scared. They're so scared. All right. Got to give credit uh, to Justin Amash, the congressman, the Republican congressman from Michigan. Got to give him credit. Okay. He spoke out against Trump, said he should be impeached. Good for him. And now I found another one. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. In today's tribunal, Christian Schneider. I'll get to that later. Uh, he wrote a column about uh, corporate handouts to rich people. Now, let me explain the traditional attitude as it breaks down on this issue. When it comes to handouts, Republicans, conservatives, and libertarians have what I would call a double standard. When poor people get assistance from the government, it's waste, and they should pull themselves up by the bootstraps like I did. Even if they were born rich, they somehow in their mind view themselves as having pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. But when it comes to a handout to a corporation, like let's just say the city of Chicago giving $2.3 billion in property taxes to Link, uh, to Sterling Bay to build Lincoln Yards, well, that's economic development. Got that, folks? 
A handout to people who really need it is bad. A handout to rich people who don't need it is good. <laughs> up is down and down is up when it comes to Republicans. You know, <laughs> if uh, might make more sense if we were all stoned on reefer, but Republicans are against that too. Gambling good, reefer bad. Gambling good, reefer bad. That's the world according to the Republicans. Anyway, great articles I said in today's tribunal. Here it is, folks. Home delivered. See that, listeners? I'm subsidizing the Tribune. Even though most of the stuff they write in their editorial pages are garbage. I still subsidize them. Anyway, the Chicago Tribune printed an article by Christian Schneider, who is a reporter in Wisconsin of the conservative persuasion. But I got to give Christian a handout. He go. He points out the obvious that the cheeseheads up in Wisconsin are wasting billions when they decided to dole out all that money to Foxconn to come build a manufacturing and southern a manufacturing southern facility in southern Wisconsin. That's more trouble than it's worth. Uh, you can read it for yourself in uh, Christian Schneider's column in the Tribune. Yeah, I'm giving you a shout out, Tribune. Uh, he points out all the obvious points is that it probably won't create as many jobs as is promised. If it does come, it'll probably pollute the area. And it's going to cost them a lot of money that could otherwise be spent on things that people want. Like, I don't know, better roads or bridges or police or education, etc. and so forth. Anyway, I would like to congratulate Christian Schneider. It's good to know that there's at least one conservative who's not hiding under the table. Come on out, boys. Get I'm out. scared. I'm so scared. All right. We got a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anderson will be here. He never hides under a table, D. That conservative under the table has a very high-pitched voice. There's... <laughs> Come on out. I'm hungry. Oh, we have to feed the conservative. I know. <laughs> Hold on. Let me give you some water. Here we go. He's actually doing this. From the side. <laughs> he took a mug of water hey, and put it under the table. Stop spilling the water. God, those conservatives are such messy drinkers. Anyway, they're so scared. Donald Trump won't tweet about you, okay? Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, Monroe Anderson, he doesn't hide under the table. He's got guts to say what he thinks, right? Get him talking about eating, uh, cheating, and, you know, oh, all gosh. those good things. Anyway, Tibo Buchanan will be here. Uh, Humanity in the Headlines, that's his podcast. And between the two of them, Monroe Anderson and Tibo Buchanan will be talking Trump, 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 and Mueller. Yes, D, I know you're getting the Mueller. We'll be talking all about that good stuff with them. They know more about it than any man alive, including the conservatives hiding under the table. What? You want some of Leah's bagel? You got any of that bagel left, Leah? I finished it. Oh, sorry. Go get your own bagel. <laughs> anyway, the conservatives are so scared they're under the table. And I'll tell you someone else who's not scared, D, Amisha Patel, grassroots collaborative, our favorite community activist. She'll be in the studio at 2.30 or so. Talk about what went down in the city council. A oh, busy day at the city council. I guess Ed Burke had a showdown with Lori Lightfoot, huh? We'll be talking about that as well. All the good stuff. Lots of political talk. Political talk and political talk. But before we do any of that, hold on, hold on, T. All right, take a nap. It'll be okay. I had to talk to the conservative under the table. Uh, before we do any of that, it's Dennis Talk. What you got for me, boy? Hey, dude, I am loving that under the table bit. <laughs> Keep it up. That's good stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. He's like, hold on, D. He's thirsty again. Oh, there, yeah. Guy's tired. Bring it up. Okay. Take we'll, care of him. We'll get more water. This is a great water fountain just down the hall from us here. 
All right, it's the mm. middle of the day. Okay, drinking that water's delicious. Fantastic water at the Chicago Sun Times. It's mm. the middle of the day. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Okay, big day today. Special Counsel Robert Mueller made a public mm. statement for the first time about his nearly two-year investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. It was brief but impactful. Mueller opened by announcing that he was formally closing the office and resigning his post at the Department of Justice. Now I have not spoken publicly during our investigation. I'm speaking out today because our investigation is complete. The Attorney General has made the report on our investigation largely public. We are formally closing the special counsel's office, and as well, I'm resigning from the Department of Justice to return to private life. Wow. As you hear his voice, it is weird. You know, you right. get Mueller, Mueller, Mueller. We've been talking about it with uh, Monroe Anderson for like 5,000 years, it seems like. And then you just hear his voice. It's it's kind of bizarre. I miss you, Mueller. Please stay. Come back, Mueller. Anyway, I'm sure there's more to that than just him saying he's uh, re- resigning, correct? He then explained in detail what exactly his investigation discovered. Mm-hmm. As alleged by the grand jury in an indictment, Russian intelligence officers who were part of the Russian military, launched a concerted attack on our political system. The indictment alleges that they used sophisticated cyber techniques to hack into computers and networks used by the Clinton campaign. Mm. They stole private information and then released that information through fake online identities and through the organization WikiLeaks. The releases were designed and timed to interfere with our election and to damage a presidential candidate. And at the same time as the grand jury alleged in a separate indictment, a private Russian entity engaged in a social media operation where Russian citizens posed as Americans in order to influence an an election. These indictments contain allegations and we are not commenting on the guilt or the innocence of any specific defendant. Every defendant is presumed innocent unless and until proven. <laughs> they always put that line in there. Well, you're innocent until proven otherwise. Yeah, everybody's rolling their eyes. Uh, this is, I was just talking about this, D. I did not know that. I did not hear that until you play that. It's like great minds think alike. But yeah, they hacked into the computers. Yeah, they tilted things so it would favor Trump over Clinton. And yes, they still didn't win. Only in America. America is the only system that I know of where a winner is the person who scores less than the other person. That's how our presidential election system works, folks. Hillary Clinton got more votes than Donald Trump, and yet Donald Trump gets to be the president and claim he has a mandate. And he, most of the, many of the votes he got, he was the beneficiary of Russians hacking into Democratic computers and stealing and cheating. And Republicans don't see there's anything wrong with that. That's that, is- that guy under the table. All right, hold on. Yep. What? What's that? Huh? Oh, he said she's really scared of Trump. He's what? Mean? Trump's mean with the Twitter? Okay, he's afraid. He's afraid. He's so afraid. Uh, by the way, if you want to, uh, we're going to be talking about this with Monroe. If you really want to get a, a sense of <laughs> Republicans' sort of cavalier attitude to this, uh, your good friend, young John Cass. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Big friend. We play Johnny basketball Cass. together. Every I call him Johnny Cass, people go, wait a minute, isn't it that singer? Okay, one more time, everybody. Johnny Cash is the singer. Johnny Cass is the MAGA hat lover. All I right? I understand why people 
people would get that confused. <laughs> yeah, no, Johnny Cash. Oh, I wish Johnny Cash were around. Love to hear what he has to say about the Mueller report. Anyway, it's so funny. Uh, Mueller lays it all out there, and yet Republicans, oh, we don't care. It's not that big a deal. I'm afraid of Trump. What else did he have to say, D? Finally, it's the uh, audio that all the media outlets are running with today. The order appointing me special counsel authorized us to investigate actions that could obstruct the investigation. And we conducted that investigation and we kept the office of the acting attorney general apprised of the progress of our work. And as set forth in the report after that investigation, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. The introduction to the volume two of our report explains that decision. It explains that under long-standing department policy, a president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. That is unconstitutional. Even if the charge is kept under seal and hidden from public view, that too is prohibited. The special counsel's office is part of the Department of Justice, and by regulation, it was bound by that department policy. Charging the president with a crime was therefore not an option we could consider. Wow. <laughs> so in other words, the only reason he didn't charge him with a crime is because of this cockamamie policies that says you can't charge a president with a crime even if he commits a crime. All right. So, oh, that's good enough for most Republicans. Well, let's just move on now. Unbelievable lawlessness here uh, in the White House. Yeah, it's pretty clear. First of all, uh, I think it was a crime when they met with uh, when when Trump officials, uh, campaign officials met with Russians at roughly the same time. The Russians were hacking into the Democratic computers. But I think. Anybody who is being objective, as opposed to being afraid of a presidential tweet, would have to concede that it was a crime for Donald Trump and his uh, aides to figure out ways to obstruct justice, to try to conceal the evidence of their um, uh, conspiring with the Russians and their and, and their bad behavior. I do not know how any Republican uh, can justify looking the other way at that. And so Mueller makes it. It, you know what, D? I, I like to say he made it clear, but even then he doesn't make it clear. There's just something about the the way he parses, puts his sentences together, and it's not coming out clear. He should just say, I would have charged him, but the policy is that I can't charge a president. But I don't know. Anyway, I I shouldn't complain because that's as close as any official would become, come to saying that Donald Trump committed a crime. So now that Mueller has spoken, the Trump White House obviously has oh, their ga- they go. have their game plan. <laughs> no collusion. <laughs> here we go. But a handful of our 2020 Democratic uh, presidential yeah. candidates have weighed in on this as well. First up, here is U.S. Representative out of Massachusetts, candidate Seth Moulton, also known as, wait, Seth who? <laughs> Forget about that guy sometimes. All the time, in fact. Um, He says, Mueller did his job. Now it's time to do ours. Impeachment hearings should begin tomorrow. All right. I hear, hear. Seth Rogen, did you say? Uh, Seth Rogen. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We're just going to go. Seth Moulton. Just Uh, kidding, Here's California Senator and 2020. By the way, Seth Moulton, huge fan of the show. He is pissed right now (laughs) that you just did that. 
California Sorry, Senator, 2020 candidate uh, here, Kamala Harris, said oh what Robert God. Mueller basically mm-hmm. did was return an impeachment referral. Now it is up to Congress to hold this president accountable. We need to start impeachment proceedings. It's our constitutional obligation. Mm-hmm. Here, here. Let's get those impeachment hearings going. Up next, it's Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke said oh. there must be consequences, accountability, and justice. The only way to ensure that is to begin impeachment proceedings. Yeah, I agree. But I'm not really feeling Beto O'Rourke's campaign. Pain. Are you feeling it? No. Yeah, I'm not feeling it at all. I mean, he kind of had his own thing going on. Then uh, the Obama people came in, and now he's just kind of like everybody else. Yeah. I, when do you mean the Obama people came in? Like, remember, he had his, his campaign staff come in during. Uh, remember, we talked about that uh, weeks ago. Yeah, I guess I remember. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought the guy ran a strong campaign for senator uh, in Texas. And, uh, you know, give it another go in Texas. Just to jump from losing in Texas to running uh, for president. That's just not making it. You know, this. I'm on a tangent with it, a tangent here, D. But the, if the, the Democratic candidates come up with these, like, narratives about themselves as opposed to, like, real experience of things that they've done. Are, are you right? They're emulating Obama. And it, it's it worked for Obama. i got to give them credit. It worked for Obama. I'm not sure it's the right path to take in 2020. Anyway, a tangent there. Go ahead, young man. Up next 2020 presidential candidate Julian Castro. He says Mueller made clear this morning that his investigation now lays at the feet of Congress. No one is above the law. Congress should begin an impeachment inquiry. I agree with him, but I have to disagree with him when it comes uh, to our political process. Apparently, Trump is above the law uh, when, in, in the eyes of Republicans. And since they're the ones who are the jury, if there is an impeachment, it will come down to the Senate. Uh, Trump will get away with it. All right. And finally, Elizabeth Warren here. She numbered three things here. She says Mueller leaves no doubt. Number one, <laughs> he didn't exonerate the president because there is evidence he yeah. committed crimes. Yes. Number two, Justice Department policy prevented him from charging the president with any crimes. And finally, number three, the Constitution (laughs) leaves it up to Congress to act. And that's impeachment. I agree with everything she said. Uh, That policy, I don't even know how strong that policy, but the Justice Department, the so-called policy about not indicting presidents if they commit a crime. I mean, that's a whole discussion in and of itself. Could they get away with murder? I mean, well, in some cases, uh, you, well, I'm not going to go there, but could they, you know, is there no crime that a president uh, could, would be free to commit? It's, I mean, are all crimes all possible for a president? I, I don't get that. I don't see why that policy exists. And it's sort of like uh, automatic prerogative here in the city of Chicago. You know, it's like these policies, like, I'm not even sure they even exist. Uh, and yet they seem to have a life of their own. Over on the uh, live stream chat room, Kyle asks, does Dr. D, that's me, by the way, guys, I'm Dennis, how's it going? Does Dr. D have a Mueller voice? No, I don't, not yet. I've only heard him like That's twice. a great question. <laughs> yeah. That is a great question. I think he's alleged think, by the grand jury in an, in, that was alleged me. by the grand jury in an indictment, Russian. That was me. <laughs> wow, you're fast. Know, That's unbelievable. Right? No, no, I don't have one. I got nothing. You, so. It's kind of a husky thing, a little raspy. I think some, may have smoked cigarettes at some point. All right, I, got, I got to sit down on that one and, and uh, work on the Mueller voice. He's but, like uh, an old hipster. Oh, awesome. Find him in Logan Square. All right, we'll keep you posted on these <laughs> stories bear. as today's program rolls along. Uh, but coming up after this short little break, people, we're moving on. We're going to find out what's going on locally. We are going to find out oh, what yeah. else is new. So don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Hey. 
Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him. Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. Hey, that commercial break's over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. All right, we are indeed live, and the time of day has come where the doctor takes the deep dive in the local news. Yes, people, we're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Mm -hmm. Today was Lori Lightfoot's first city council meeting as mayor of Chicago, and we're going to talk about it. But first, J.B. Pritzker said it a while back, Illinois has gotten its mojo back. You know what? I think the big feller may be right here, Ben. <laughs> Got my mojo. Okay, no thing. Fresh off of his fair tax legislation, passing the House yesterday, the Pritzker train is not stopping. Full speed ahead, Ben Jarofsky, on to the next bill, because rumor has it that the Illinois Senate will pick up on their discussions on House Bill 1438, a.k.a. the Cannabis Legalization Bill. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts? Well, I, they can't pass it fast enough as far as I'm concerned. You know me on this. By the way, there was a really good story in the uh, Sun-Times. Hold on. Let me open the Sun-Times. Steve. Hold on. Here, yeah, I'm opening okay. the Sun-Times. In the sports section. Yeah, I know I'm normally not allowed to talk about anything related to sports. What are you about to talk about uh, right now? But it, it, it's related. It's okay. related. Chris Long. Did you see this? No, do, I did not. Do you know who Chris Long is? No, I do not. All right. Very good. Chris Long is a football player, a great defensive end. Howie Long's kid. A, Look at the brain on Brad. Yes, indeed. Howie Long's kid. One of his two sons that plays football. The other one is Kyle Long, who plays for the Chicago Bears. I know you knew that. And uh, anyway, Chris Long just re, uh, retired. Very much of an activist. Uh, even uh, As a football player, a liberal activist, if you will, which is kind of rare uh, for football players. But anyway, retired defensive end Chris Long, who last week revealed his longtime marijuana use and detailed how he beat NFL drug tests, said Tuesday he hopes the league will over come the stigma associated with the drug, but admitted there's still much progress to be made. He said, quote, I think the reaction has been interesting because even people that support you, it just shows the stigmatization is so ingrained. A lot of people are tweeting at me and every tweet is like, hey, man, are you are you going to spark one up, dude? I'm like, chill with the stereotypes. Marijuana is a part of people's lives. It's not their life. And then you have the minority, which is less than 10% of the responses I've seen, which are like, that stuff's the devil. 
In other words, he says, D, we should stop making fun of people for smoking marijuana, that the age of Cheech and Chong jokes is over, and that we shouldn't do bog jokes anymore. All right? That's what he said. (laughs) I'm just saying this. I agree with uh, Chris Long. I think it's insane that the, the NFL uh, prohibits marijuana and punishes players who were uh, tested, uh, caught uh, smoking marijuana or having with marijuana in their system, but they allow, you know, dangerous painkillers, opioids to be used. Uh, and the players are in pain. And if the football players think that marijuana helps them ease the pain, then why shouldn't the NFL uh, allow them to smoke marijuana? It's I just doesn't make any sense. It's like everything else in the marijuana debate. Marijuana has been demonized. Marijuana has been turned into this awful vice uh, when, in fact, so many people use it that it has benefits for people who are suffering from pain. And yet we it's taking so long to rid ourselves of these just old notions that are leftovers from the 60s. So I don't think that bill can be passed soon enough. But I have to disagree with Chris. I like making reefer jokes, D. I guess you do, too. Sorry, Chris Long. The Senate will reconvene at about 5.30 this afternoon. The plan is to run the cannabis bill on the floor mm-hmm. after a few warm-up bills. All right, now let's unpack. A few warm-up bills? A few warm-up what are they, bills. doing exercises yeah, now? It's Pritzker campaign. They're not playing around here. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, we got some warm-up bills. Get those going. <laughs> All right, now let's wait. Look. That's your Pritzker. That's day. my Pritzker. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's do it again. I've got some warm up pills here. <laughs> I am not a perfect person. Oh, by the way, here's this. After years of neglect, <laughs> Illinois is finally getting its mojo back. Yeah, and we're open for business. <laughs> Woo. I don't know what a warm up bill is. How like, I get that warm up bill? It's like when they get to it's like, it's like they get to vote no on a couple of bills that gets it out of their system so they vote yes on the you know I could see you know, many of our guests do yoga before they can Mike Novak by the way always oh, stretching. Good lord, he's hit me in the face. He's got long arms. After years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back yeah, and yeah. we're open for business. All right. All right, All right Bill, gets that warm up, JB. Now let's unpack today's city council meeting. Like we said, it was the first city council meeting under a mayor, Lori Lightfoot. And today's meeting was all about getting Lightfoot's committee chairman and leadership team voted in. She has her handpicked favorites, and she's calling on the aldermen via a voice vote, yay or nay. <laughs> and then wouldn't you know, her committee was voted in. Yeah. But there were a few unhappy campers at today's city council oh, meeting. Really? Like uh, no one's favorite, Alderman, uh, the guy that was <laughs> charged but not, infi- not officially indicted, yeah. 14th Ward Alderman Ed Burke. Before we get into all of that, Ben Jarofsky, tell us your thoughts on Lori Lightfoot's new leadership team, and how do you think they're going to fare out here? Well, all right. We t- I talked about this with Maya. This is uh, one of my favorite topics. Uh, listen. We have a strange system in the city of Chicago where the mayor determines who gets to chair the uh, committees of the city council. So we're supposed to have a split where, you know, uh, you have the legislative branch and the executive branch, uh, excuse me, the legislative branch being the city council, executive branch being the mayor. Uh, and they're, they're supposed to be a checks and balance system. But in the city of Chicago, the executive controls the legislative. That's apparently the system you want, people. You keep voting for it. Now, It just so happens, D, that I appreciate the selections that Lori Lightfoot has made to run these committees, like Scotty Wagsback at Finance, more than I appreciated the selections that Rahm Emanuel and Mayor Daley made to run these committees, like Ed Burke and Finance. But that does not mean I agree with the principle that the executive should choose the legislator. I think it's a principle 
you know, I the legislator should, legislators should choose their own. The problem is the Ottoman would probably choose Ed Burke to run. The guy could be in the federal clink, and they, you know, he really knows how to run a meeting. He knows the players in the game, Benny. <laughs> okay, yeah. So what? He may have shaken down a few people to get property tax business, but no one runs a meeting like Ed Burke. Anyway, so we have a very strange uh, system here in the city of Chicago. Now on to Ed Burke and Lori. And, you know, I, I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of content from these two. <laughs> you know, Ed Burke. Thank you, guys. Yeah. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran, the woe man Spielman. Seriously, if you haven't watched the Fran Spielman show, you're making a big mistake, all right? Chicago.suntimes.com. The Fran Spielman show, a fantastic program. All right, so here's the article from Fran Spielman. Lightfoot easily survived her test after definitely handling an early skirmish with Burke. Her political arch rival, long before the now deposed finance chairman, was charged with attempted extortion, setting Lightfoot on a path to the mayor's office. Burke rose to complain that the council rules drafted by the Lightfoot administration were not gender neutral and that it was a big mistake, particularly with a woman as mayor. Lightfoot then reminded Burke that he had been in the council for 50 years. Implied but not stated was that he had never raised such concerns about gender neutrality in council rules before. Clearly annoyed with the line of questioning, Lightfoot told Burke to wrap it up. (laughs) Probably hadn't heard that in a while. She told the once powerful alderman who is now just one of 50 that his concerns would be taken under advisement. Yeah, under advisement. You know what that means? Oh, I'm going to throw it in the wastebasket. Aisle 13. Monroe Anderson has entered. Monroe Anderson, good friend of Ed Burke. We'll get into that uh, in a little while. But uh, you know what? What goes around comes around. Ed Burke was a bully for all these years, and now one's standing up to him. And uh, I remember uh, you know, when, when Rom uh, took office, and we thought he might confront Ed Burke. But you know where he was, D? Under the table. Oh, hey, yeah, Rom, come on out. Take a chill pill, man. <laughs> Uh, Rom decided and it w- he would just allow Burke to uh, run the finance committee and continue his practice of uh, having a property tax business where he got to shake down people who were doing business with the city of Chicago or wanted to do business in the city of Chicago. So Lori Lightfoot has made, in my humble opinion, and I believe that Monroe Anderson will agree with me, a step in the right direction in terms of removing Ed Burke from his perch of power in the city council and turning it over to Scotty Wagusback, who I believe will be less corrupt uh, and uh, more fair and equitable. And Ed Burke is crying. Feel sorry for him. And boy, did I learn something new today. Today I learned that when you want the best live wall-to-wall coverage of a Chicago council meeting, there is no better source than the Chicago Sun-Times own Fran the Woe Man Spielman on her Twitter account. She's good at Twitter. She's awesome on Twitter. Here's her live take on the altercation between Burke and Lightfoot. Uh, She tweeted... Quote or tweet, whatever. This is classic. Lightfoot and Burke have been arch enemies long before he was charged with attempted extortion. She tells Burke his points will be taken under advisement and we're going to move forward. And Lightfoot definitely handles early skirmish with Burke. She swats him down like a pesky fly. And the rules she drafted are adopted by voice vote. Oh, man. By the way, the voice vote thing, Monroe, I just got to tell you, what a bunch of cowards. Voice vote. You know, instead of just saying, all right, we'll start off with the first ward. And then the alderman, uh, what, Danny Alato gets up and he goes, I vote whatever. And they then, were saving time. They were, oh, <laughs> saving their skin is more like it. I'm scared. So I'll just say. And then they, I don't know if you have this in your news, D, but I read this, I think, in, in France. Spielman, who? 
else. They somehow or other counted four no's. In the, how do you dis, dis, determine that it's four no's in a voice vote? Let's everybody here go no. One, two, three. No. no. How do you know? How many people said no? Because... If you're going to vote no, you put your hand over your mouth like, see no evil, hear no evil, uh, speak no evil. Oh, so she was counted the people were hiding. <laughs> I see nothing. <laughs> anyway, they found four people willing to. <laughs> they, they're going, those four are going, how about that Trump? <laughs> yeah, how about that Trump, man? Yeah. So anyway, that's democracy in the Chicago City Council. I'm scared. We'll do a voice vote. So Lightfoot's team has been uh, voted in via voice vote uh, with four <laughs> no's, apparently. Oh, but how they found four no's out of a voice well, vote? That sounds like four. Uh, let's do. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, my, I'm pretty good here. I got good ears. I'm not too good with seeing, but I could determine four right. votes. Hey, again, this is in Trump's um, cabinet, so they they needed some nose just to prove that there was. I say, yeah. Well, let that be said. There are. <laughs> I'll say this about democracy in this. There's more democracy in the city of Chicago because even if the aldermen were so scared they went to a voice vote, they apparently found four of them willing to vote against Lori Lightfoot. You can't find four Republicans in the entire United States willing to say that Donald Trump committed a crime. Wait, look under the table. Hold on. Oh, please. I'm thirsty. Oh, they're thirsty. Hold oh, okay. on. I have to. The Republicans who are hiding under the table, Manor, are thirsty. <laughs> Big bits. Well, well, we do have Justin Amash. We have one, one. in the entire country. Right. How many Republicans? There's got to be like 50 million Republicans in the country, right? I mean, yeah. I, how many votes? I don't even know. How many he votes? Got, did, he got 60 million. Six zero? Yeah, or 60. Zero. Okay. 60 million. million Republicans in the country. One has got guts. One. Oh, my God. You know what? Chicago's a. I will not bash my uh, aldermanic uh, brothers and sisters ever again. They got more guts than all the Republicans in the country. All right. These fellers are ready to talk some Trump news and some national politics. So we're going to go ahead and uh, put what else is news to bed here. But hey, oh. the first of many, I feel, of Lori Lightfoot Ed Burke stories oh, today. Oh, yeah. Showdown. Well, let me oh, tell no. you. Well, he, he and um, Trump will be cellmates pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Monroe Anderson's in rare form, folks. So, uh, But uh, we're going to move on to Monroe. Robert, before we do, I gotta tell you something. Whoa, that's the cell door shutting on Trump and Ed Burke. I want to tell you something that Kelly Cassidy, who appeared on the front page of the Tribune, not my beloved Sun Times, but in the Tribune, and Neil Cassidy and David Cassidy all agree you did a great job. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. We got Monroe Anderson sitting here, and he's fired up, ready to go when we return. The Bendrovsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Bendrovsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. It's a Wednesday. That means Monroe Anderson is in the studio. Uh, mid, what do we call it? Midday with Monroe? Monroe Midweek. Oh, my God. I got everything wrong. I got the, the <laughs> well, word wrong. Got the name right. I got, well, Monroe, <laughs> I know. Uh, I've known Monroe for about 50,000 years. And uh, anyway, we're going to take the deep dive on Trump. The man has been consistently anti-Trump from the yeah. moment Trump won that election. Right. And from your first show to today. To today. Yeah, and, I'm uh, still saying... Peach. Yeah. <laughs> 
He should have been impeached because he, he should have been allowed to take office in the first place, Monroe. We have a strange system. He got less votes than Hillary Clinton. Right. I had to ask all my guests who come in the studio, what other game, what other contest does the person who loses get to win? Um, bocce ball. Is that true? If you, if you get close, that counts. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> but the winner is the guy who gets presumably gets the closest. Okay, you know, if they get bocce ball, they go. Well, I didn't get you got closer than I did, but I'm declaring myself the winner anyway. Okay, well, whatever. That's democracy in the United States. I'm starting to appreciate the democracy. By the way, before we go to Trump, uh, you're an old pal, Ed Burke. I know we've told this story many times, but you must get a kick out of this, Monroe. Uh, Ed Burke was in all his glory and power uh, when you were a press secretary for um, Eugene Sawyer way back when yes. in the dinosaur days, right. and he couldn't stand you at all. Well, uh, this is how I upset him. He was considering running for mayor because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was upset when when Daly was running, and so he was upset about that and said, basically, if I remember the quote right, the little prince isn't going to get it this time. Yeah, he That's, didn't like Richie Daly. No, no. So the Tribune calls me as press secretary because they're all going to run against Sawyer. Yeah. He calls me, they call me, and they want to know what I think about it. Because I covered Harold Washington, and I had been in the press room when um, Burke would come through and talk about um, Washington performing oral sex on men. I mean, through the press room loudly, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. That was one of their obsessions. And it's so bizarre. Now, today, he's allegedly standing up uh, for the, the notion of like gender equality in uh, titles and stuff. Uh, yes, but back in the 80s, yes, he course. was spreading all these rumors, uh, intending to undercut uh, Harold Washington. Uh, by Every which way he could. Every which way he could, yeah. yeah. And, and Harold's position was that for Doliak was not a racist. He was just a sleazy businessman trying to figure out how to make a buck. Verdoliak being the other alderman yeah, who was tied eddies. together with Ed Burke yeah, to the two uh, eddies, opposing, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas he, he, Harold maintained that Burke was a racist. Mm. So anyway, I'm called by the Tribune as a press secretary. They call me and want to know what I think about it. And I, I say that Burke was a pariah. <laughs> because of what he had done to Harold during the 29 days. Mm-hmm. And because I was a city employee, Burke went off. Um, I was at the um, Purple, um, Cups Purple Cruise. Yeah, purple. the Cup being a commerce for the Sun-Times, you used to do the cruise to yeah. uh, raise money for vets. Yeah, right, and it was called the Purple something. I don't remember. It's the Purple Cruise? Uh, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Something. Purple Heart Cruise, Yeah, maybe? Purple Heart, I think mm-hmm. it was, yeah. I mean, we were maybe... 25 feet away from each other, 50 feet away. You and uh, Burke. And Burke Mm -hmm. on the pier, about to go on the boat. And he had read what I said in the Tribune. And so he he yells at me and says, I ought to kick your ass. And I look at him and I go, (laughs) I give him the, bring it on. Oh, that tough guy from Gary, Indiana, (laughs) all right? (laughs) He's now, as it it turns out, of course, Burke had his bodyguards. I had Mayor Sawyer's bodyguards. Uh We weren't going to be fighting. No, the bodyguards (laughs) would be fighting each other. Who would have won that fight, by the way? My um, Sawyer's bodyguards would have beat up Burke's. Okay, I'm just curious. I think. Uh, A proxy fight of bodyguards. Exactly right. (laughs) So anyway, after that, he threatens, he goes on TV, and he threatens to have my salary 
uh, removed from the budget, the city mm. budget. Yeah, that's how much power he had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I go on TV and I say, well, um, I would hope Mr. Burke, Alderman Burke wouldn't do that because I have a, uh, two young children and a wife with family support and he, I hope he wouldn't take it out on them. And so it went away after. By the way, this is so many years ago that those two young children that Monroe alluded to are now like, but in their thirties. Yeah, or, right. One, uh, one's thirty-five, the other's thirty. Unbelievable how much time has gone by. Exactly. Great kids, by the way. So, um, uh, but then later you hugged it out, and uh, uh, yeah, in Denver yeah. at the DNC. Yeah. But they, up until until that time, we never spoke to each other. Yeah. We, um, every year, Bill, Bill Curtis would have a a Christmas party uh-huh. in December. Yeah. And um, Joyce and I, my wife, and mm-hmm. I would be there, and Ann Burke and yeah. um, Ed Burke would be there. I talked with Ann Burke, but I never talked with Ed with Burke. With Ed Burke. And vice versa. Yeah. And he would just walk past you, et yeah, cetera. Just ignore Cold War. By the way, I was yeah. never invited to those Christmas parties. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> never get invited to anything. Uh, Bill Curtis's Christmas parties. Your, your, your Christmas party is better than Bill, Bill Curtis's. Thank you. Uh, that, uh, thank you for that. I owe that to my wife and my daughters. All right. Now, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a rocking good time. Um, Robert Mueller uh, finally appeared, uh, you know, came out from the curtain. The Great Oz came out from yes. behind the curtain. Uh, Dennis played uh, some clips of him uh, a little while ago, and I was struck. I'd never heard the voice before. Yeah. Uh, it was it was kind of eerie here. You know, you hear right. about Mueller. Right, exactly. You'd see pictures and yeah. footage of him, like, walking to, in the building and stuff, but to hear his voice. Right. I don't know, had you ever heard his voice before? Uh, no, no. Not to, not to my knowledge, yeah. Uh, you know, they, they've played um, clips of him in, in earlier events that he was in, because he's been around forever. He's mm-hmm. an institution. But um, I don't recall hearing his voice. Yeah. Well, we'll play when Atiba comes. Uh, we're going to have some fun with this. We'll play the clips of Mueller again. And then uh, I'll read to you the uh, column from your old friend, uh, Johnny Cass in the Tribune. Yeah. Uh, who <laughs> You'll get a kick out of it. I read the Tribune's columns and editorials, Monroe, so that you won't have to. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but exactly. then I force you to read them. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Right. I, I, I quit reading them when I stopped writing them. <laughs> yeah, writing for the Tribune. Uh, but, uh, I, I, yeah, a column. I, I, I was an op-ed page column at the Tribune for a year and a half. Yes, I do remember that, and you were probably what, too, way too left for them. But anyway, yes. so um, what do you think the, uh, the impact of Mueller's uh, comments will be? Um, the, impeachment. The, the Democrats are going to... Well, they'll start impeachment inquiries mm-hmm. first. They need to be back. Right now, they're scattered all over the country in their r- respective districts. So they, But when they get back, they'll be in rooms. When they get back to Washington. When they get back to Washington. Mm-hmm. And they will start the impeachment. And it'll be before 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Okay, Monroe originally said that he would be gone. Trump would be gone by the 4th of July. So now it's been watered down to the impeachment. No, not watered down. Uh, I backed off the branch uh, a little bit. Okay, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, well, do you think Mueller, that was his intention? To uh, rev up the impeachment engine no, by no, coming no, forth. No, with no, no, no. I, th- I think his intention. Well, okay, and of course, he also quit today. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, I think because Trump 
and Barr were lying so frequently and so wildly mm-hmm. that he was just he fed up with his report being misrepresented. Mm-hmm. And so he came to defend the report that he spent 22 months mm-hmm. working on yeah. with his people. But you, you, he has to realize that by coming forth and stating it, he will be giving motivation to well, Democrats. Well, in to his report, yeah. he said that it, w- it was not his job to indict because mm-hmm. there's an OLC um, um, committee it says that he has a memo that goes back to the 70s mm-hmm. or 90s. Mm-hmm. I forget. Yeah, this policy, I talked yeah. about this earlier, yeah. is parent justice. I don't buy this. Do you buy this policy? You cannot indict a sitting president? No, I don't buy it. I mean, I are they it, immune it, from it, any it indictment? back to the 90s because this was a reaction to the Starr report because Clinton got so tied up on, on his, his indictment mm-hmm. that um, he wasn't nearly as effective in his second term as he was his first. No, I would argue, I don't know, an argument could be made that it was just as ineffective. Uh, in, the first term was the one in which he, uh, my, yeah, he passed the crime bill, yeah. which the Democrats been running about from uh, ever since. Yeah. Uh, he got stuff done. Now, whether you, you, we agree with it or not, he couldn't get health care done. He could yeah. not get health care. Yeah, right. No, that okay. was the, the almighty Obama only. Only. <laughs> <laughs> almighty Obama. Boy, how soon we have forgotten almighty right. Obama. Right. Now, if, you, if you hear Trump, Trump talk about it now, Obama didn't do anything whatsoever. Yeah, except mess up. He screwed this up. He screwed that up. So, in other words, uh, you you don't think that uh, Mueller was intending to rev up those impeachment engines? No, I don't think that was. I, this is okay. This is what he was doing mm-hmm. in the Mueller report. He said this was not his judgment. It was to be Congress that they were to make this. Mm -hmm. These are the crimes that Trump committed. He named the 10 um, obstructive acts, Mm -hmm. the nexus, and the intent. So it was like, okay, this is what he did that was crooked. Mm -hmm. Um, This is how it started and what happened with it, and this is what he was intended to accomplish in the process. 10 times, not once, not twice, 10 times. Mm -hmm. He named those things. It was like, okay, here it is. Do your job. Indict, indict the guy. Mm-hmm. Impeach the guy. Well, yeah, yeah. That's well. The House actually is the indictment guy. That is yeah, correct. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. They, right. they do the yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So as you get, get your point, I get yeah, your point. Gets, and, mm-hmm. and then the then it goes on trial in the Senate. Yes, absolutely. So he said, "Do that." Yeah, and, and they didn't they, do it. Well, because. Barr, Barr sat on the report. Bill Barr sat on the mm. report. Attorney General Bill Barr. Yeah. And then told the lie about how there was the, the, the report said he, he came out with the, the four page uh, memo mm-hmm. uh, four days afterwards, or so three or four days after, said that this is the conclusion. No collusion. And, well, um, Mueller sort of, kind of said it might be some obstruction, but he didn't really say it. He said that he he wasn't going to act on it, mm-hmm. of which Trump 
did a mission accomplished yeah. dance and said, no collusion, no obstruction. Yeah. No and collusion. And, and, and hoax. <laughs> yeah. And hoax. Yeah. Okay. So they let that lie out there. All the righties were high-fiving mm-hmm. and drinking champagne along with the Ruskies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. An, interest, an interesting coalition, to put it mildly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Strange bedfellows. Yeah. And anyway, so they were all celebrating. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, my, as you know, I wage war with right wingers <laughs> on a Facebook page all the time. Yes. In the yeah. meantime, I'm fighting with the wing nuts. <laughs> oh, actually, I've changed their names. I now call them the Trump nuts. Okay. But, but <laughs> what did they say? Anyway, they were saying, uh, "When was I going to apologize for?" Uh, <laughs> Defaming our great president and, and, oh uh, my he, God. and claiming that he was a Russian yeah. spy and he was a, a crooked, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I said back to them, mm-hmm. why don't we see the report first? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going by what one guy said, and it doesn't sound right to me. Yeah. Okay. Then finally, when the report comes out, then, of course, they're still going with the, because Trump is telling them this. Yeah, they got their uh, talking points well, from Donald. And, 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 and we know everything comes out of his mouth is gospel. Yeah, right. And so he says. That's yeah. uh, sarcasm, folks. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> He's still saying no obstruction. No collusion. Yeah. No collusion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he's and, saying. And so they're saying that you just can't stand the truth. Yeah, that's and, what they say to you on Facebook. Right. And yeah. then the other thing they say uh-huh. is you wait until Barr starts his investigation or the investigator. Well, we'll be talking about this later. Yeah. yeah, right. That's exactly. the other talking point. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's uh, their diversion. Uh, they're going to investigate the investigation, which is really curious. Suddenly, uh, Republicans and conservatives are very concerned about uh, the potential lawlessness of investigators. Right. Where were they? They were awfully silent when the FBI and the Chicago police killed Fred Hampton oh, yeah, in his course. bed. You of know course, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Where were they? You know. Right. Uh, I mean, it's so interesting when they pick and choose. When they're oh, con- they pick and choose all the time. This yeah. is a, this is a problem. Uh, when when they were doing, I think it was six Benghazi investigations, oh, yeah. and came all of them came up empty-handed yeah. with nothing. Yeah, um, it didn't seem to bother them. These ongoing investigations now. Their 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 uh, wine is W H I N E. Yes, their wine is. Um, it's over. We got to stop. We've done it too much. Yeah. We spent $35 million, which, uh, which first of all, didn't cost the taxpayers $35 million because um, Trump's um, chief of staff, uh, no, campaign manager, yeah. p- paid for a lot of it. Plus, By the way, yes. I do not uh, believe that uh, any Republican anywhere should have the right to talk about a waste of public dollars when last week, this is in between the time since you've been here, Donald Trump announced that he discovered somewhere 16 billion, with a B, dollars to pay farmers not to produce goods so that uh, that he can uh, help them from being punished 
uh, protect them, if you will, from his trade war with China. I don't know if he'll actually pay the the farmers that money. That's a whole other issue. Right. But they've no, lost he, all credibility in terms of whining about the costs of government when they discovered $16 billion, Monroe. I don't even know. Like, where was that money? Like, doesn't Congress have to allocate money? You understand what I'm saying? Like, where do they find $16 billion? So anyway, that's just my yeah, point. Yeah, right. Oh, no, 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 no. Trump, he just makes stuff up. He doesn't know how government, he's so incompetent. He doesn't know how government works, and he's too lazy to find out how government works. So he just makes it up and goes along, and he tells, he says what he wants to or tweets what he wants to say. By the way, before we get back to it, do you think he'll actually pay those farmers that $16 billion? Or do you think that was just something he said that one day? that was something he said. He doesn't, you know, he... He's, he, he's saying that he built the wall. He's been building the wall, which mm-hmm. is not true. Yeah. Um, he's, he, he, when he, in his business life, he cheated people all the time. He told them they were, they were going to get paid mm-hmm. and then took them to court and didn't pay them. He, he lies. He cheats. Um, as um, Amas said. All right, now we're if, going. This is yeah, where we're right. going to go back. Okay. As Amas said, mm-hmm. if we don't impeach him, then who can we impeach? Yeah. You know, in the future. I mean, if, if he sets the standard for not being impeachable, then um, who will be impeached in the future? No, Somebody? this is interesting. This is Congressman Justin Amash from Michigan, 3rd Congressional District right. in Michigan. Uh, we have, I don't think you and I have talked about this one because it probably happened in between well, the I, last I, time we were on I the show. Well, I mentioned him. You mentioned week. him? Okay. Yeah, but we didn't get into it. We didn't get into detail. it. And uh, this is a, a Republican. He is a Republican uh, who calls himself a libertarian. Uh, and, uh, he, and Actually, he's one of the original Tea Party people. He's one of the original Tea Party people, and he has come to the conclusion, having read the Mueller report, that Congress has no choice if they're going to be true to the principles of of checks and balances. And what the the founding fathers wanted. Wanted that they have to impeach uh, Donald Trump. They have to uh, call him uh, on the carpet to have an official congressional investigation and trial into his misdeeds. They have to uh, essentially indict him uh, for his obstruction of justice uh, in trying to cover up uh, evidence of his potential criminal dealings with Putin and uh, the Russians. One Republican. One Republican. And and, um, what's really interesting, he had a town hall yesterday and he got a standing ovation. What do you make of that? I think... He had a town hall in his district. In his district. Yeah. And he got a standing ovation. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, well, one, one thing, of course, is, is, is as you know, is um, most Americans hate Congress, but they love their congressmen or congresswoman. So that's one fact. That is really bizarre, by the way. Yeah, that whole that that whole uh, contradiction I've always found very strange. Yeah, right. Okay, exactly. But also, um, they came to hear what he had to say. Mm-hmm. You know, because one of the things is one of the polls has. somewhere in the high 60s Americans believing that Trump is lying about this whole thing although he continues to lie Mm -hmm. like it's working it's not working but um, those who are the Trump nuts which is 35 to 40 percent of the population of the the voting population yeah they're they're of the um, you can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and we won't care Mm. group yeah 
You know, and they so, control the Republican Party, Monroe. Let's be clear. They yeah. control the Republican yeah, Party. That's why the rest it's, of the Republicans... It's Trump's party. It's not the Republican Party. It's nothing like the Trump, uh, the Republican Party that your grandfather knew. This well, my grandfather not. was never a member, just so you know. Like, I'm say, defending my grandfather. I, I never. Just, he was a New I, Deal Democrat, yeah, love no, I, Roosevelt. I, I, wait, wait, wait. I didn't say he was. I said he knew. Okay. He, all know, right, okay. I, mean, I mean, if you stop and think about it, the, the Republicans helped get the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, a few so, of them I mean, did. You're yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah. We had, In fact, we had two Republicans uh, who from the 60s on the show on Sunday, uh, Dee Bobian and Marcy Love, and it was... Their particular interest uh, that motivates them is choice. They believe in a woman's right to choose. And they recall the Republican Party uh, of their day being filled with people who believed in choice, like Betty Ford and Gerald Ford and a a younger George Bush, Daddy Bush. uh, And uh, And probably Mitch Romney at that point. Uh, pro- probably George Romney, yeah. his father. I don't yeah. know about Mitch. Well, his Romney. father was a a, 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 a a liberal. Yeah, his father would be classified today a liberal. Michigan right. Governor right. George Romney, yeah, particularly a, on race issues. Yeah, right. He would have been a white course, liberal. Yeah, but of course Nixon would be a liberal nowadays. Well, uh, no, he would. Seriously, Nixon was more liberal than Clinton and Obama. Uh, defend that policy, position. Okay, Nixon introduced affirmative action. That is correct. Yeah. He, um, his policies, well, the longer he's in office and he um, got power hungry, they started shifting. But he had some, some very liberal policies. I'll put it to you this way. Yeah. Uh, the world that existed when Richard Nixon was elected president uh, in 1968 with the Vietnam War raging right. uh, was a far different w- a world. Uh, p- Democrat, uh, let me just put uh, the policies, the politics of this country are far different than right. the conversation was much more to the left. Exactly. No, at that time, yeah, conservative was a dirty word. I mean, literally. I mean, if you call somebody conservative, it was a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Some would and, say it still is. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, but not the majority of yeah. people. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, they made liberal a dirty word, yes, and that's exactly. why liberals now call themselves progressives. Exactly. Um, but exactly. this is why I declare myself just left of well, liberal. I, I've been utterly obsessed with this, and I'm going back to what I was talking about yesterday. Uh, over the Memorial Day weekend, I read uh, Seymour Hersh's uh, memoir, uh, Reporter. And Seymour Hersh, of course, is a great investigative reporter of the 60s and 70s who uncovered so many dirty deeds by Richard Nixon. And I have to tell you, Monroe, reading that and going back in time yeah. and seeing what Nixon was up to and Kissinger was up to and the lying and the cheating and the story, oh. I have to tell you that Donald Trump and in some ways, this is going to shock you, is an improvement, in my humble opinion, an improvement. You don't know all the facts, obviously. Well, I do, I do not know everything right. that Donald Trump is yeah, doing. Yeah, right. Trump, Trump has done so much stuff. You wait. This is why we have to have the impeachment. Absolutely. Because but then we have, them on, uh, we have them on TV talking about here's it. The, I'm in an unusual up. position where I'm, quote, unquote, defending Donald Trump just by <laughs> comparing him to Richard Nixon. But I'll put you this. What, what, oh, oh, no. Ben is becoming a Trump nut. No, going down. Down the road. Just, oh, what's that been? No yeah. collusion. No. Oh. <laughs> you, he wanted me to play that. Uh, I'm just pointing out that Richard Nixon uh, was uh, overseeing secret bombing of Cambodia, bringing a war into a country that was a neutral country that had no. Uh, and you don't gripe. think Trump is trying to do that with Iran right now? I, 
I put it this way. I have no evidence. Uh, I'm going to be worried about what I'm about to say. <laughs> what am I about to say? Right. Uh, you know what? I bet just to stop because for all I know, he is bombing in Iran. I don't he know. Not, he, he he's, he's setting it up. He's, Bolton is doing the same thing with Iran that he Bolton, John Bolton, yeah, yeah. John Bolton yeah. did with Iraq. Yeah. And it's the same game plan. All right. You know what? I try to defend you, Donald Trump and Monroe Anderson. Cut me off at the knees. Uh, but Nixon was no joke. He was pretty bad, too. All right. We're oh, going to. No, he was bad. Uh, we, uh, Monroe Anderson is here. We're talking Trump, 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 Trump. Atiba Buchanan will be coming in real soon, uh, as I understand it. And we're going to take a break and be right back. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. The 
biggest Jeff Manuel fan out there, Ben Jarofsky, people. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, May 29th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions once again for bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. You people are awesome. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. No, not Aerosmith the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A big thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Wednesday, May 29th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we still got Monroe Anderson in studio. We welcome back our good friend and host of Humanity in the Headlines, Atiba Buchanan. And it's the return of our favorite grassroots organizer, Amisha Patel. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Yes, indeed. We're talking national politics now. We're talking Trump. But uh, Amisha Patel will be here in a little while. We uh, shift uh, attention to the local politics. Don't worry, folks. Haven't given up on covering Chicago politics. Still early obsessed with it. City Council uh, had its first meeting under Mayor Lightfoot. That's probably finished by now i've missed uh most of it actually because i'm preparing for today's show so we'll be talking about it as well tomorrow uh i believe amisha patel was at that meeting she's coming here we're doing a lot of lincoln yards talk they're the group that filed the suit to upset the uh, lincoln yards uh tiff deal handing out 2.3 billion dollars as i said earlier in the show uh i'm always looking for assistance from my conservative libertarian brothers and sisters on these issues of principle that supposedly matter so much to them they are very they 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 speak out very strongly uh when it comes to giving money to poor people when it comes to giving money to working people when it comes to giving pension dollars uh, to retirees so i am waiting for them I am just waiting for them to join with Amisha in that lawsuit, uh, challenging the city's uh, deliverance of $2.3 billion to wealthy people. They are so hypocritical. (laughs) When you you talk about um, choice versus pro-life, they're they're for protecting a child in the womb. But once they get out of the room, then you're on your own. You're on your own, and they're going to throw some obstacles in your way. Exactly. So we'll uh, be up. Monroe uh, raised this issue of abortion. That's in the front pages of, uh, well, front page of the Tribune, anyway. Uh, We'll get to that. But uh, before we do, D, what you got for me, young man? Oh, a few things. But I believe uh, Amisha also is bringing a mystery guest. Is that right? That's what I was told, that I do not know who the mystery guest is. Man, who Very will it be? trippy, man. Oh, goodness. Uh, Find out later who that mystery guest will wasn't be. the secret agent Mueller? Yeah, maybe it'd be uh, Robert Mueller. Oh, wow. Whoa, wouldn't that be cool? Whoa. I'd could... have to clean up in here. <laughs> yeah, you know, quick, get these new, get this pile of newspapers. That pile is growing, by the way, D. All right, if you haven't heard the news, people, the Ben Jarofsky Show just reached 1,500 likes on Facebook. Oh, my God. Watch out, WGN. We're coming for you. <laughs> 1,500. <laughs> we're celebrating with the caption contest. It's a Mayor Rom, Governor J.B. Pritzker caption contest. Mm. Head over to our Facebook page and leave us your caption at 
Benny J Show is the uh, handle there if you want to follow us at Benny J Show. The picture just begging for your caption is pinned on the top of the page. It's one of our now former mayor. How good does that feel to say? Former mm-hmm. mayor, Rahm Emanuel. He's giving a speech <laughs> per usual. He's got a goofy look on his face, but standing behind him uh, is a. Uh, the governor, J.B. Pritzker, he's got a bit of a smirk on his face. Uh, it's pretty hilarious. Leave us your caption. We are going to keep this contest open until the end of tomorrow's program, Thursday. And yes, Ben Jarofsky, unlike most of our contests, we actually have something to give away to our winners. Wait, time out. We're going to do this tomorrow? We're doing it tomorrow. Well, let me see who will be the person. All right, let's see. Ooh, at uh, uh, Jeff Johnson and Candace Castillo oh, will nice. be in the studio. So uh, Candace. Yeah, Candace and Jeff will be in the studio. They'll get to pick who the winners are by, by the way the picture folks if you when you get check it out uh, you haven't seen him in row but the picture what the guy standing behind, there's a guy standing behind ron with his eyes closed like he's sleeping as he's standing <laughs> our top three captions for this week's it. caption contest will get a pair of tickets to see cirque du soleil volta now it's Soldier Field yeah. until July 6th, so best of luck to our captioners. Let's read the captions we have thus far. Once again, uh, former Mayor Rom giving a speech. There's a smug look on his face. Governor Pritzker standing behind him with a smirk on his face. Picture that as I read John's caption. Uh, John, okay, this is uh, Mayor Rom talking here. Uh, okay. <laughs> says, Rom, I made a dookie all by myself, and JB says, he did. I saw it. I'm so proud. <laughs> Not sure if that'll give you the tickets, but a good caption. I like it. Oh, Ben likes it. Okay, he likes it. <laughs> On to Hector's caption. Uh, Hector puts here, I guess this is Rom talking. I came, I saw, I closed down schools and mental health centers. <laughs> oh, man, that's sad, but it's so true. Here's Julie's caption. Oh, Julie puts, how about Smirk de Soleil? <laughs> Ooh, I think we have a winner. That's a pretty like good one. That one That's a very clever one, Julie. Uh, he's no stranger <laughs> to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. He's Bab. Here's Babber's caption. This is Rahm Emanuel talking. <laughs> All right. Rahm Emanuel yeah. saying, I'd like to say this to my greatest critic, Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi has no idea what she's doing. She should have begun an impeachment inquiry weeks ago. <laughs> Bab, you gotta love Babs, man. If you don't know, there's a bit of a Facebook uh, fight going on between Babs and Ben. It's oh, really good. On. I love Babs. Next up, it's Ann's caption. Uh, this is Pritzker talking. Uh-huh. All right, remember Pritzker standing <laughs> behind Rom on the picture. Yeah. All right, it says here, uh, "You go first. No, <laughs> we mean go." Get out of here. Uh, All right, we'll read one more, but don't worry. That's good. I like that one. We'll read one more, but don't worry. We're going to go out with a bang here. All right. Up next is a caption from the one, and trust us when we say the only, Frank Coconati. Coconati Coconati waited. Monroe's favorite, Frank Coconati. Give give everybody a little uh, description of uh, who Frank Coconati is. Well, Frank Coconati uh, is a, oh, God, how to do it. Frank Coconati is a longtime, or had been a long time a democratic uh, precinct captain city worker uh, very much a willing member of the democratic machine uh, he broke from the machine in the 90s i've lost track no yeah, in the o's yeah to, to hook up with jesse jackson, jesse jr. jackson jr and was punished unfairly i champion his cause yeah. and many articles in the reader right. he was unfairly punished and discriminated against they fired him on trumped up charges uh, since then he has drifted to uh, uh, trump Bill and uh, has become one of Donald Trump's biggest supporters in the city of Chicago. So even though I love Frank dearly, I think he's lost his freaking mind. <laughs> Frank weighed in <laughs> on our caption contest, and uh, I guess this is Mayor Rahm Emanuel talking here. Well, 
The picture is Rahm Emanuel talking, J.B. Pritzker standing behind him. Frank Coconati weighs in, and his caption is, This is the result when you ignore campaign finance reform. <laughs> okay, Frank, suddenly for finance campaign reform. Keep the captions coming, everybody. Remember, at the end of Thursday's program, we will award our best three captions. According to our guest, uh, Candace Castillo, a pair of tickets to see Cirque du Soleil Volta now until July 6th at Soldier Field. Google Cirque du Soleil Volta for more information. Send us your captions and good luck. All right. Very good. I'm happy to say that uh, Atiba Buchanan has entered the studio. Atiba Buchanan has entered the studio. Always a blast having you here. Thank you so much for battling the traffic to get here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to come, and I apologize to you and your audience for my tardiness. Oh, don't worry about that. I mean, good God, that's your first person who's ever apologized for being late. <laughs> and we stalled, dude. It's good. <laughs> that's all good. Yeah. I've had people come in 45 minutes late going, um, I've arrived. Right. You're, you're setting a bad precedent here. <laughs> yeah, no apologize. This guy's been late so many times on the old show, which was way out in the middle of nowhere. What was that station, D? Uh, I don't know. You got fired. Man, right? <laughs> w CP, you're fired, that station. Uh, anyway, Monroe was chronically late and uh, whatever. It's all good. Thank you so much for showing up. All right. Thank now, um, uh, Atiba, I've been holding off on this because uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I've been teasing it all day and uh, telling Monroe about it as well. Uh, as you know, we talked about this briefly. Robert mm-hmm. Mueller had a press conference today. Uh, I don't even call, I don't know if it was a press conference since it was. He, no, he, he read a statement. He read a statement. He didn't talk, take he questions. Didn't take questions. Yeah. Yep. So I got to hear his voice. For, for me, I, I know, right? I was like, "Whoa, it's <laughs> like deep, dude." Have you ever heard him before? Uh, very briefly, but not enough to commit it to commit it to memory to know what he'd sound like if I heard him again. Do you? Are you good at imitations? I'm not. Oh, I was going to say, can you do an imitation of him now? No, no. It take me a little. It take a few more interviews, but oh. I can get him. I can do. A, I can do an okay Trump, but. Well, come on now. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Oh, we'll yeah, get to right, it. When, right. when, when, He's not when a it's jukebox. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he sort of lays out the case uh, against Donald Trump without yep. coming out and saying that. Do you agree with me? That's sort of what he did today. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I was saying to Monroe, I think he was starting the ball going on impeachment, it, whether that was his intention or not. Yeah. Uh, do you think that was his intention? I do think that was his intention. Um, I mean, basically, the reason we are where we are is really because of one name. And it's not Robert Mueller, it's William Barr. Because what Mueller had to do today was come out and try and right the ship that William Barr had taken off course. So if you think about it, everything, you know, one thing he kept saying over and over again was that the work speaks for itself. The work speaks for itself. It really does. What he didn't anticipate in the months that he was completing and compiling all this information was that there was going to be an attorney general to come in and throw all that information away mm-hmm. and, and misrepresent the information. Because if we, ha- if we had an unredacted Mueller report, we wouldn't be here. Uh, that is very well put, Atiba. And so uh, I agree with you. The work speaks for itself. And that brings me to this. Uh, you say that. Monroe says that. I say that. And we're on this podcast on page two of the Chicago Tribune for literally thousands and thousands of people to read. Uh, there's a gentleman named John Cass. Uh, who's uh, a little bit to the right of us, I would put it uh, that way. They, I, they found a photo of John where he's not wearing a MAGA hat, but uh, that's <laughs> nice to know. Uh, in his heart, he's wearing his MAGA hat. And uh, this is what uh, John Cass uh, had to say about uh, the Mueller report and the current investigation. <clears throat> After years of investigation and tens of millions of dollars spent and scads of witnesses and bushels of documents subpoenaed, 
Mueller determined that Trump and other Americans did not conspire with Russia in the 2016 presidential election. Yes, Russia did interfere to help Trump over Hillary Clinton and turn Americans against each other. The Russian hacking of Democratic email and the release of WikiLeaks was profoundly embarrassing to the Democratic Party and to members of the media who were little more than propagandists for the Democratic team. But Mueller found there was no collusion, hence no crime of conspiracy with Russia, and this angered the Democrats to no end. Democrats pinned their political hopes in Trump being Putin's boo-boo. When there was when there was no there there, they became hysterical. Friendly journalists had given each other Pulitzer Prizes for work about Trump's role in the scheme that Mueller said didn't happen. Some of these journalists were apoplectic, as were CNN, MSNBC, and other networks that had invested heavily in a Trump-Russia conspiracy. Your thoughts, Atiba? Well, once again, <clears throat> Republicans, uh, right-leaning people are doing a great job of oversimplifying this situation. It is far more nuanced than that. Robert Mueller came out today and basically said, I would have charged him if I could. But we, he, he indicated he, the main reason he didn't charge him was because it is against Department of Justice policy to charge a sitting president. It has nothing to do, it, it, and, and he left it to Congress. He said, if there's going to be any other uh, criminal proceedings after, after the president, that's going to be a process outside of the Department of Justice. What process is that? Impeachment. Right. So he's, he, is, he is literally setting up the, 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 uh, the, the plate for Congress to go ahead and, to your earlier point, begin the impeachment proceedings because there is there there. He, his whole point was, even, even if I, can, I couldn't even conceive if there was there there because he's a sitting president and I couldn't indict him anyway. So again, it's a great job that he's doing with oversimplifying what the position is, uh, what the well, position is of Mueller, yeah, and uh, he's it's far more nuanced than that. Yeah, Cass isn't oversimplifying. What Cass is doing, echo chamber, <laughs> echo chamber, yeah. echo. And actually, actually, he's auditioning for Sarah <laughs> Huckleberry. 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 You can call her Huckleberry. I like that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I like that. Yeah, right, exactly. He, he, he's trying to get a better paying job. It, it, does uh, the press secretary to the president get more money than a columnist for the Chicago Tribune? I don't know. That's a, a whole other interesting well, point. Well, she, she gets more than this columnist got. <laughs> but uh, he goes on to t call for an investigation of the investigators. In other words, now, th th so this is the line, and I think Monroe's correct here. Uh, so they've effectively uh, taken that talking point mm -hmm. uh, that Donald Trump says that he was completely exonerated, even though he wasn't exonerated, uh, that there was no crime here, even though I would argue uh, the, the Russians uh, hacking into Democratic computers is a crime. Well, uh, you know, well people have been indicted for it. Yeah, yes. right. Exactly. <laughs> so, no, that's definitely a crime. But, no, with the collusion, which is is, is um, a misnomer, it's actually conspiracy. Yeah. Um, basically, what Mueller's saying on that in his report is that there wasn't enough evidence yeah. to um, to to say that he he did anything there, and why there wasn't enough evidence because some witnesses uh, refused to go before Mueller's um, um, people, mainly the president, yeah, and others and others mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Some of his people, um, some evidence was destroyed. I mean. Things were done that weren't right. And so they couldn't make the point mm -hmm. 
make the, the, the connection. But, you know, but that's sort of like saying, well, O.J. didn't do it because the jury found him not guilty. Were you... Were you saying that in 1995? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I was like, saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. I got the the. the <laughs> it's like we're hearing that the come day, out. Yeah, yeah. No, the day that OJ, yeah. the the the, the, tri- the trial ended and the verdict came down. Yeah. I was called by Indigo, a reporter at Indigo, mm-hmm. and she said, um, "What did I think about the um, con- um, the right. hearing, the the, the acquittal, the acquittal?" Yeah. And I said. He got away with murder. Yes, he did. All right. And I, she gasped. The yeah. reporter when I said that. Well, All right. Can I add something to that Go real ahead. quick? Because you make a very important distinction. Mm-hmm. There is a distinction between being innocent and being found not guilty. Right. And right. that's and so Donald Trump is out here saying, I'm innocent. Right. And no one was even trying to to evaluate innocence. Right. When when you when you get arrested for killing someone, you're not guilty yet you are innocent until proven guilty and Mueller was saying even today that that he couldn't charge the president because it would be unfair to charge him and there's not going to be a court hearing for him to be able to 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 justify for the president to be able to speak for himself and justify his position so again we're not trying to evaluate innocence and that's what Trump is doing when he's out here to your point echoing He's saying, I've been found innocent. And that's not the case at all. You can be not guilty, and that's a great point to bring up OJ, and everybody know you did it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, although, uh, well, let's not redo the OJ, OJ thing, oh, but uh, it so it, I, the parallel uh, is absolutely remarkable. Uh, the same people who are outraged that Donald Trump has not, quote, unquote, been exonerated were... Uh, and who are calling for an end to the inquisition of Donald Trump and are outraged to feel he's a victim, were screaming the loudest about how shocked at that jury that uh, acquitted OJ. I just, right. that, that just, a I just can't get over. I don't know if you're, you're younger than me. I don't know how were you I remember were in 1995. I remember it clearly. Yeah. And I remember... <laughs> Just the split screen of different reactions yes. from a majority African American crowd versus a majority Caucasian crowd, and right. I remember it very clearly. Um, and the one thing about the—I'm with you—I don't want to relitigate OJ, but bringing it to today, I just think that it's, it's a stark comparison because Donald Trump essentially did it. Robert Mueller came out today and said he did it. He just wasn't able to because essentially I think what Mueller said today is that the, the sitting president is above the law. I, now, I didn't buy that, Atiba. Yeah. I mean, I heard I mean, him is, say but that. But isn't that what he said? Yes, that's what he said. Well, he, no, he, he, he didn't quite say that. What he said was that he, he couldn't impeach as long as he was a, a sitting. I mean, he couldn't indict, indict as yep. long as he's a sitting president. He said, poli- "Justice Department policy prevents yeah. me." And, no, and this is the, this is the the really good part about this is once he's no longer president, they can indict him. All right, but do you buy that, Atiba? Do you buy that uh, an investigator uh, cannot indict a sitting president for a crime? I mean, Absolutely no. not, because we can either either the the laws equally apply to all citizens or it isn't. 
And I can understand the thinking behind that. Not wanting, I can understand the embarrassment behind, you know, indicting a sitting president. But if Donald Trump went, I mean, the only reason we're talking about this is because essentially it's white collar crime. If Donald Trump went out and shot someone, we wouldn't be sitting here saying we can't Maybe. indict a sitting <laughs> president. I don't know. That, I don't know. I do not. That's yeah, the question right. I asked. Right. Is murder right. exempt from this? Right. right. Uh, I, he said the policy is that uh, the Justice Department policy is that we don't indict. Now, I, he did not distinguish between types of crime and the uh, other thing too we have to remember too is that when a lot of these because this is this is the trump factor when a lot of these rules and policies and everything came up dozens hundreds of years ago no one ever considered preconceived a president as corrupt as trump when we when we didn't make it a requirement for pre- when we made it voluntary for presidents to submit their tax returns. Mm-hmm. We, we, we just assumed everyone that ascended to the level of a Democratic or Republican nominee would be of such character that that would not be an issue. Yeah. And now we have to literally make it a law for people yeah. who are the nominee to submit their tax returns because of Trump. Yeah, but the founding fathers thought about this being a possibility. That's why they came up with impeachment. Sure. What have you. But what we, we have is, is, is Nixon and then Clinton. And Clinton ended up being more popular because he was indicted than not. And so the Democrats are doing a lot of hand-wringing. They don't want to do it. The, the Clinton, again, we got this policy of, of not indicting a sitting president as a result of the Starr investigation. I I actually feel uh, that Atiba's onto something here. I feel that uh, publicly we've reached uh, a stage in national politics uh, that's far removed from at least the appearance of national politics that existed when I was a kid obsessed with politics. And this is on my mind a lot. I keep telling people I just got finished reading Seymour Hersh's uh, memoir, Reporter, which talks about his investigations into Nixon and Johnson, etc. And Nixon and Johnson behind the scenes were absolutely corrupt. Uh, they, 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 had, they just snubbed their nose at the yeah. law. But publicly... Publicly, they they, they played the game. They were presidential. Yeah. Right. Trump, it's like steps on all of it. Yeah. All from the tweeting to the name calling to he has completely, just completely changed the standard of the office. And unfortunately, he's done this. He's normalized it. Took him a couple years, but he got it done. We are we are not shocked when he says he talked about Joe Biden. On foreign soil, yeah, and with with a foreign entity, yeah, on Memorial Day, that is the most unpatriotic thing you can do, and it's not a big deal. We talked about it, but that's normalized now. So again, I, a lot of the rules that we have in place, a lot of the expectations we have in place for presidents, he's blown that out of the well, water. You know, we could not conceive. I, I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, uh, I'll say, I'll put a nuance on that. Sure, it is a big deal, but what has happened? is, and this gets back to my sort of the theme of the day, is that the Republican Party has become so under the control of Donald Trump that they have thrown away anything resembling a principle that they've ever had, yep. anything resembling like character that they've ever had. So that you have guys like John Cass, who's the, the page two columnist for the biggest newspaper in the city of Chicago, uh, dismissing out of hand 
Right. The the what he has to know because guy's not dumb. I mean, you know, you know him, Monroe. He's a good friend of yours. He's not <laughs> dumb. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. But he's he he has to know that there's a serious charges in the Mueller report against. It just dismisses. Now, them. It's the echo chamber. That's what it is. They what they do. Um, Fox, Fox News sets the tone. And they and follow. They, but they think follow. what they're echoing. Think of what Atiba just said. The no, I, They would not be dismissing if Barack Obama had been in, where was it, Japan. Right. And had denounced who? Who would have, would have been in tw- Mitt Romney? Uh, yeah, no, the way were, John, the Republicans would be going berserk, and Democrats. They were critical of Michelle Obama for going sleeveless when she met the Queen of England. Right. I mean, I want to go back to your, your article, too, because he talked about investigating the investigators. Yes. And the audacity and the temerity that it takes to even make that statement aloud to anyone who's intellectually honest. Because as we speak here, uh, Michael Cohen is in jail. Uh, and, and we have, uh, what's his name, Michael Flynn mm-hmm. going to jail. Right. And we have uh, Papadopoulos, who's, who's done his time in jail. Oh, and I think his Manafort. campaign manager? Manafort. Manafort's Manafort. in jail. Yeah. yeah. So again, when you, have, when you have all of that going on. What I, is that? No, I don't even know. Man, that there is we a weird ring. But when you have all these people in <laughs> yeah. jail and, and, the, and the connective tissue between all of these people is Russia... How can you say, let's investigate the investigators? Mm-hmm. That is so intellectually dishonest because his, his, the, the, the assumption is that there's no there there. Why would they even investigate? But we have all these people in jail over their connections to Russia during the campaign, but they shouldn't have investigated it. Well, I think that, that is just absolutely asinine. Uh, well, the argument, they're, uh, they're trying to flip the argument and say that if you believe in transparency, I actually kind of, uh, I'm, into, I'm into as many investigations as we want, but uh, how far do you think they'll push this, uh, Monroe? How far do you think the Republicans will push the the drive to quote unquote uh, investigate the investigators? Uh, they're going to push it a little bit longer, and then the impeachment's got to start. It, it, impeachment, uh, it's got to start, and that's got to distract everybody. And you know what's really interesting about that is Nancy and and some of the more um, conservative. Democrats mm-hmm. are saying that we need to stick with the program, you know, come up with the policies and the do it what we have, the good program for Americans. Um, the Republicans are going to let that happen. Mitch is going to anything that the Democratic House passes when it gets to the s- Senate is DOA. Mm-hmm. So they could pass all this stuff, but it's not going anywhere. So they may as well have America focus on the scandalous behavior of Trump and his administration. And scandal trumps all anyway. I mean, you, you know, unless they, they passed a program where every American got a million dollars or something, mm-hmm. then um, the scandal is going to Trump. Yeah. Well, I, I, it'd be, the Senate has the power, I suppose, to launch an investigation into the investigators, which would be... Some, a spectacle I have not seen. I've lived through quite a bit. Uh, I guess the only thing even remotely comparable, uh, and it's really 
a different thing. It would have been in the 70s when the Senate investigated uh, allegations of the CIA's overstepping and uh, spying on Americans and overstepping into the affairs of other countries. There was the Frank Church investigations yeah. in the 70s. Yeah. But is I don't I can't recall uh, uh, an but investigation the, into a law enforcement. Right, and the difference is there's no there there. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I mean it's it's um, Ru- Russians were doing us wrong. And the FBI did its job and started looking into it, and they found out that Trump was connected to it. And so now Trump wants to try to um, make them look like they're the bad guy. All right. It's um, not there. Amisha Patel, my uh, next guest is in the studio. We're going to bring her on real soon. But before I let you uh, gentlemen go, I have to ask you about this one. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, uh, speaking of interesting takes on... uh, Uh, on policy. Uh, Mitch McConnell had a comment the other day. He was asked, I don't know if you saw this, Atiba, uh, what he would do if there was a Supreme Court vacancy uh, next year. And he said, well, and Donald Trump had nominated someone uh, like uh, uh, Barack Obama had nominated Garland, uh, Merrick Garland, excuse me. Uh, And he said, well, approve it, of course. Hold hearings, of course. Uh, What's your thoughts about that? I threw up a little in my mouth. (laughs) <laughs> just, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised because the the levels of Republican hypocrisy never surprised me. Um, but for him to say that the way that Merrick Garland was stonewalled and, and Justice Scalia died 11 months before the election was just absolutely disgusting. And the fact that he'd do a complete 180 because we have a Republican president can't be a surprise at all. I am a little surprised that he admitted it so soon. I thought he'd play a little better politics than that, kind of avoid the question. And then, you know, I, I ultimately f- figured his position would be to nominate the person and to see them through. Um, but again, I, I didn't think he would just be so brazen and bold about the statement so early before the before it could potentially happen. Yeah, this is, this is a revenge thing with him because of Bork. I mean, he was so as a young senator, he was so upset about Bork not getting appointed. Robert Bork. Yeah, yeah getting getting appointed to the Supreme Court. That every, he's been, this has been his life's mission more than anything else, is to, with the Supreme Court judges. Well, he's uh, he was successful in uh, 2016, right. uh, a blocking Merrick Garland. Now we have uh, uh, two uh, Trump toadies sitting uh, on the bench, and it, Roe v. Wade could come down uh, to um, <laughs> right. to their and, decision. And, and what's going to happen is when the Democrats get back the Senate. And the White House. You're predicting that's yes. going to happen. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. As a result of the impeachment proceedings. <laughs> All right. When they get them back, they're going to add two more Supreme Court justices seats there to balance things out. Oh, so you're going to do oh. some packing? Yeah, uh, that's your next prediction? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You think they're going to add two more? They're going like, to add more. It's going to be 11. Oh, 11. Okay. 11. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the right, David exactly. Ferris point of view. Right. Yeah. yeah, right. Uh, all right. That's Monroe Anderson with some more predictions. Atiba Buchanan. I'd uh, love for you to be right. Yeah. You going to make any predictions before I let you go, Atiba? And, Robert Mueller will testify publicly. Oh, yeah. Oh, we didn't even get into that. Oh yeah, he, he will be he will be subpoenaed before yeah, to come before be Congress, and he, sh- and he should. And he's a he's now a private citizen, so he can't say no. Right, he can't. That he is will correct. Te- yeah, he will testify. Maybe that's what this was all about today. Right, to set himself up. Uh, to be, he doesn't uh, want to do it, right? But he's going to have to do it. Yeah, he's going to have to. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe, maybe he wants to do it. Maybe you know that old line: "The lady doth protest too much." Maybe yeah. he was protesting so much about not wanting to do right. it, and right. now he steps down. He, he uh, has no uh, ju- uh, excuse anymore. Right. Well, I hope maybe. you're right too. 
Atibu Buchanan, Monroe Anderson, thank you so much for coming on. We got Amisha Patel. We're going to bring her on after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicolas Fayette. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh, my, what magnificent architecture. Hey, Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Economical, ecological, and very eclectic. You'll never know exactly what you will find at Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, 11 to 7, Monday through Saturday, and noon to 7 on Sundays. Green Element Resale, saving green all the way around. Stop in and shop soon, 6241 North Broadway, right around the uh, Granville Red Line, uh, right there by... uh, I don't know, it's right there by the Granville Red Line. Can't think of the street name offhand there, but go check it out. And uh, it's a fantastic thrift shop, the Green Element Resale. Economical, ecological, and very eclectic. More at the Ben Jarofsky Show in moments. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live. We're shifting gears a little bit. Uh, Amisha Patel is in the studio, grassroots collaborative, our favorite community organizer, as I like to say. Welcome back, Amisha. It's good to be here. And uh, we haven't done this gag in a while. Uh, You have brought a mystery guest. Oh, a mystery guest, you say? Yeah. (laughs) So, Amisha, why don't you introduce your mystery guest? That music's amazing. (laughs) Um, I'm excited to be here today with my mystery guest. Um, We are currently involved in an exciting 
project, which is suing the city of Chicago for racial discrimination around uh, its TIF program. And I get to, I've never gotten to say I'm here with my lawyer before. And that may be a good I'm, thing. I don't know. I, yeah. It's kind of fun. I'm here with my lawyer. Um, this is Anil Chablani with, uh, I'm going to mess up all the letters. So I'm going to let Anil talk about his organization and the great work that they do. All right, Anil, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. All right. And your organization is? Yeah, I'm with the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. Okay. And uh, so I, listen. I have been uh, <laughs> uh, cheering for a lawsuit uh, against the, tip, uh, the the way the Chicago operates its TIF program for years, and uh, generally, I'm no lawyer. Uh, I, I, you know, I should tell you, <laughs> no, I always act really. <laughs> Wow. I barely got through high school, but uh, I play a lawyer uh, in my life, and I'm always. And, and lawyers tell me. Well, Ben, uh, lawyers, you know, you can't sue if you don't have standing. All right? You have to have standing. That's what lawyers always tell me. If you don't have standing, you can't sue. So you can't sue. And there's no, nobody was injured by the TIF program, which I find outrageous. You know, I mean, the, like the poor kids of Chicago go to public school. They'd be number one. Uh, be sure. people who were injured by a program that diverts uh, hundreds of millions of dollars every year from the public schools. But somehow or other, they don't count. Uh, but somehow, some way, you must be a very good lawyer, Anil, that you found uh, standing uh, for Amisha's group to sue and uh, a reason to sue and a legal argument to be made uh, on behalf of suing to overturn the, what is it, $2.3 billion? Do I have that correct? Uh, 2.6. Uh, but that's the both projects, my Lincoln bad. Yards and the 78. And our lawsuit is focused on Lincoln Yards at this moment, which I, is... I apologize. One only point four, point four, yeah, four billion. Yeah, only one point right. four billion. That's it. So, talk about the standing. Talk about the legal issues at play here. Sure. So, uh, starting out with standing, um, both the Grassroots Collaborative and the other co-plaintiff, raise your hand, have been advocating for TIF reform for uh, more than a decade now. And there's a well uh, accepted principle under the law that organizations can have standing because of direct injuries to those organizations through two things. One, a frustration of their mission and the diversion of their resources to address illegal activity. Mm -hmm. And both Grassroots Collaborative and Raise Your Hand uh, certainly uh, fit that bill in terms of the work they are doing, the resources they are expending to try to address uh, problems with TIF, and uh, the consideration of the other ways in which they could expend those resources if not for the um, improper and, and what we allege is the illegal way that the city administers the TIF program. And just to give you a, an overview of the complaint, so the complaint seeks to um, uh, challenge both the creation of the Lincoln Yards, the Chicago, the Cortland-Chicago River TIF district, mm -hmm. uh, alleging that the um, approval by city council of the district and the redevelopment plan violated the state statute in that that district does not qualify under the state requirements of blight, and that the district doesn't uh, qualify under the state requirements of um, uh, not being able to uh, to see or project development but for that uh, TIF district. Mm -hmm. So th those are two claims under state law. We also have a claim under the Illinois Civil Rights Act, and as Amisha referenced, uh, and as as uh, grassroots and raise your hand have shown for years, the effect of Chicago 
administering this program in a way that continues to approve districts that don't really qualify under the intent of the state statute results in diversion, uh, siphoning off of resources uh, from certain communities and funneling those in uh, to specific communities. And what we see and what what the data supports is that the highest performing TIF districts, those that create the most tax increment, create the most revenue, and where funds go back into those districts are predominantly in whiter, wealthier areas, and the districts that are not thriving are those in communities of color. Mm -hmm. So what in effect is happening is a a shifting of the tax burden, and those communities are not receiving the benefit of having to foot that bill. Mm, I would uh, categorize that under the legal doctrine of duh, because absolutely the program is so freaking You are a lawyer, aren't you? (laughs) I mean, the program is so flawed. It's, it's like with the light went on, uh, how many years ago, I forget when it was, the light went on for me, uh, Neil and Amisha, when I realized that if you have a program that rewards gentrifying neighborhoods by allowing the capture, allowing them to keep in slush funds, in bank accounts, the increased property taxes that they're generating as they gentrify, if you allow gentrifying neighborhoods to to use that program, which is intended for poor programs, then duh, gentrifying neighborhoods automatically have an advantage. That's right. So I'm so glad that you finally filed this lawsuit. Not blaming you for taking so long, Anil, all right? But uh, Amisha, that leads me to ask you this. Um, why now as opposed to 10 years ago? What what changed that finally, you said, I we got to file a suit. What changed? Well, I mean, yeah, Grassroots Collaborative has been working to take on the abusive TIF program um, for, for a decade. And, you know, I think, I think through the years it was, you know, I think we had struggles of like internally of like, well, is our goal ultimately to end the TIF program or reform it, right? And we've had a back and forth around that. And we've had, we it's sort of been an evolution of tactics. So from 10 years ago, taking on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which at that point had gotten $15 million to rehab their bathrooms, um, which, you know, my, my favorite action maybe ever still involves a golden toilet that we tried to deliver to Mayor yeah. Emanuel. And apparently the, there's like laws, you can't give gifts worth a certain amount and they he wouldn't take it. But, um, but you know, so doing direct actions, creative actions, really lifting up how ridiculous the program was and what, how what a misuse of our fund, you know, of funds, and we, you know, t- I mean, winning some degree of success. So getting fifteen million dollars back from CME, um, forcing Mayor Emanuel to do an executive order declaring a TIF surplus. We never, you know, he always liked to have his idea, make these all seem like they were his ideas, never community's ideas. So we didn't win the legislation we were trying to move. But then he basically made an executive order, you know, paralleling what we were calling for. Well, the the kind of up the uptick of of developments and the sheer you know amount of money really pushed us to like look at we need a different strategy. And I think it was the same time like the lawyers were also like lo- watching this and being like, this doesn't make sense. There was a moment here so outrageous. Even though to me, fifteen million to Chicago Mercantile Exchange was outrageous enough, but when you're talking about one point three billion dollars going to one of the whitest, wealthiest neighborhoods in Chicago, it's just you know. And then you have the seventy-eight, and then we just have this 
clarity about the the scale of mega developments that will keep coming, that this will be a continual um, strategy that the city will use to use more and more of dollars to wealthy developers, to parts of the city that don't need that resource. It really clicked for us. It's like, well, let's try something different. And mm-hmm. um, the lawyers committee reached out. If you know, we had long discussions like, does this, you know, do we do this? What does it mean to do this? We've never filed a lawsuit before um, against the city of Chicago. So, uh, but it really made sense. It was the right moment. Um, it was the right time. And, you know, and, and we're really hopeful that that Mayor Lightfoot will not use city resources to fight us, but instead we'll actually see the opportunity of our work and our action and our organizing to really like be the outside push to make some massive changes to the way that TIFs are used. Now we'll uh, get into uh, Mayor Lightfoot's role in all this. I'd like to also point out uh, if any of our listeners out there uh, aren't, you know, uh, as motivated by the issues of racial injustice that this lawsuit gets out, I would like to remind each and every one of you that you're paying tax dollars. I always thought there was a property tax dollar lawsuit uh, on behalf uh, of property taxpayers uh, on this because we pay more in taxes because that land is now tax exempt to the taxing bodies for new taxes. We pay more. Do you live in the city of Chicago? Uh, I live in Oak Park. Okay. You, well, you got tips in Oak Park. You're paying more. Uh, uh, Dr. D over there on the board, he lives in Oak Park. Uh, he lives in Chicago. Leah over there, she lives in Chicago. They are paying more in taxes for this deal. All my listeners out there in the 41st Ward, uh, you're paying more in taxes because of this deal. So I always thought there should be a taxpayer lawsuit because they don't tell you on your tax bill that you're paying more in taxes. Isn't that unconstitutional somehow or other? Can, it's, isn't that like violating tax, taxation without representation by well, concealing that information from us? You know, th- that's a really good point. And, and that's certainly one of the reforms that uh, I know Grassroots has been pushing for and other groups have been pushing for is just the basic transparency in terms of how the system works. Mm-hmm. The ability to look on your tax bill and to be able to identify what you are paying in terms of a, an adjusted rate, an increased rate to make up for those frozen property tax values in TIF districts that aren't adding to the general tax base. Yeah. So certainly that, that's a reform that will be sought uh, as, you know, as, uh, you know, through the list of uh, uh, accountability and transparency measures. All right, now let me ask this. So we go back to uh, the issue of uh, Lori Lightfoot, and I guess I'll, I, this is for you, Amisha. Um, in the last administration, Lori forgot his name. Oh yeah, Mayor Rahm. Uh, when he came into office, uh, he there was a very unpopular parking meter deal uh, that had been passed by the city council under Mayor Daley, and there was a lawsuit filed by Chris. I think Clinton Kersloff was the the lawyer uh, who filed the lawsuit. Uh, Mayor Rahm had a decision to make. He could uh, either join that lawsuit uh, and give uh, sort of ammunition and support uh, to the fight against the parking meter deal in the hopes that they may renegotiate it, or he could do whatever he could to undermine the lawsuit uh, and benefit the parking meter deal's owners. Guess which side he stood with. He uh, underdid the lawsuit, got the council to reaffirm the parking meter deal, and we're still getting screwed there. What's your sense of what Lori Lightfoot's going to do in regards to your lawsuit? I don't think we know yet. I think it's um, uh, it's still early, um, so I don't think we have clarity yet. But I do think, you know, Lightfoot has made it 
a number of significant departures from ROM on a very, you know, on, on a set of issues, not specifically on TIFFs yet, but, um, you know, on even just her pick for the board president. Um, we go from, you know, the ComEd, the ComEd CEO to actually a long time, um, you know, sort of advocate for education justice and Miguel Del Valle. So, you know, I don't, I don't think we know yet, but there are some interesting, you know, I think interesting moves that Lightfoot has made to really show that um, there is a different moment. She's, you know, have, has a, a lawyer that used to work with, Anil, who is uh um, I don't know the title, but the head of a new dip, a new position and the head of equity for the city of Chicago and Candace Moore, mm-hmm. um, which that you know again when we're talking about racial discrimination in this TIF program, these are good signs. But I don't you know we'll have to see, and I think we'll see that soon in the next coming months about you know what the administration how they're going to react to the suit. Mm. Uh, all right, and uh, I and, you know, I was saying that uh, if I were the judge, I would of course say. Uh, you have uh, standing to file, and I agree with absolutely uh, your, your, your right to file this lawsuit. Of course, I'm not a judge. Uh, I'm not going to be the judge that has to deal with your lawsuit. Uh, have, has there been pushback since you filed your lawsuit? Have there been a, a challenges to have your lawsuit thrown out? What's the status? Yeah, we, we have not yet received a response from the city. We'll get that um, in a few weeks. Uh, so we don't have an official position that the city has taken. But, you know, I, I would just reiterate a few things that Amisha has mentioned. You know, we are hopeful that uh, Mayor Lightfoot will will take a fresh look at this and will consider um, how to approach this differently than the previous administration. So we're certainly hopeful. And, you know, as Amisha mentioned, there are new positions that are being filled with uh, folks that uh, can bring new perspectives. Um, she mentioned Candace Moore, who's going to serve as the new chief equity officer in, in a new office that's been created. We think that's a really good sign. I mean, th- that's an office that will begin to put a racial justice lens on a lot of different uh, processes and, and uh, uh, manners of administration uh, for, for many different programs, whether it's school closings, whether it's how TIF is used and the effects it has. Um, so a, a number of things that can uh, really benefit from that kind of perspective where we have systems operating in a way that continue to produce these disparities based on race, that continue to push out certain populations in the city, that continue to grow wealth inequality. So we're excited about the potential there, and we certainly hope there's a positive response. Wait, so, okay, so I understand that you've sued the city, correct? I got that right. Uh, have you sued the, the developers? Or is it just the city? No, the city is the only defendant. Gotcha. The city is the only defendant. And right now, think about this. Uh, The people that you ultimately are suing have left. They're no longer in charge. Not literally suing uh, them by name, but they're the policymakers uh, who are representing the city. Uh, So I'm thinking of Rahm Emanuel, who championed the TIF. He's gone. David Reifman, who is the head of the planning department, he championed the TIF. He's gone. Uh, all right, there's that kid alderman from the second ward, Brian Hopkins. He's still there. Uh, but so if they're not around, like who's responding? Who literally responds to your loss? Is it, like, excuse my utter ignorance about the law. I, I like to pretend I'm a lawyer, but doesn't someone have to like literally respond to a lawsuit once they've been sued? Yeah, that's right. It'll be the legal department. So, but nobody has responded as, as of yet. That's right. Yeah, they, they actually, their deadline hasn't hasn't occurred yet. So uh, they're not delaying. They simply, there's a time set 
So if they, (laughs) my imagination is running wild here. Please excuse me again. I'm no lawyer. If we, again, all the people, the culprits who thought this was a good idea have mercifully left the scene uh, with the exception of one that that one alderman. Uh, If the new people in charge decide that you're absolutely correct, that this is um, a foolish, frivolous, uh, racial, racist uh, tiff uh, what and they and they file a, uh, what a brief uh, agreeing with you. What's the practical impact on that tip? I'll let you take that. Yeah. So, you know, we'd be we'd love a, a call from Mayor Lightfoot or, or the the law department. You know, essentially along those lines. And if if their position of the administration has now changed. And there was an effort to void that city ordinance that created that district. Then the plaintiffs in the case, Grassroots Collaborative, and raise your hand, would decide if if that has sufficiently addressed the concerns raised in the complaint. And that may be one way it resolves. We, we don't know, but th- that's certainly, you know, uh, on the table. That that could happen. We would we would welcome uh, an opportunity to. So could you argue again? I'm no lawyer. Could you argue that even though the city has effectively signed a contract with uh, Sterling Bay, the developer, that if the contract uh, violates the Constitution, it, it's racially discriminatory, that it can be voided? The, the lawsuit is really trying to void the ordinance and the approval of the redevelopment plan. So as a, from a technical standpoint, the development could go on with private funding. What we're seeking is to enjoin any use of public TIF funds to support that development. Heck yeah, that development could have gone on without private. They should have funded it themselves from the get-go. We wouldn't even be That Amish is the core I would of the argument. Here. That's Good exactly God. you know a key part of the argument. Wait, hold on. I hear something. Oh, that's Sterling Bay crying because you may take away their. How much was it? One point three billion dollars. All right. Now you've not sued them by name. Uh, they you've not, they're not part of this suit. Uh, it's the city of Chicago. I mean, are they just going to sit there and let you snatch one point three billion dollars from their their paws? Probably not. <laughs> um, but yeah. but we'll see, right? I mean, I think again the. Grassroots Collaborative's belief is, you know, not to support a, the creation of a second luxury downtown neighborhood in the city of Chicago. But this lawsuit is specifically on the question of sub- public dollars subsi- subsidizing that said development. So it, if, if it what was- they do with it and what, how they respond, we will see. Right. But I think our point very much is that they do not need these dollars and they should not get these dollars because they are not blighted, they are not struggling, they do not meet the requirements of the but-for part of the TIF statute. Mm-hmm. And nobody, just so I get this straight, nobody has responded, uh, no lawyer has responded one way or another to your lawsuit. That's right. Officially responded, so it's just sitting there in a, a court. Wow, they're taking their time. Uh, Amishi Patel is in the studio, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Hey, 
Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him. Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. All right, now comes the portion of the program where you hear about Ben Jarofsky's love for candles. <laughs> My goodness, he loves candles. Sad news. After five years in Andersonville, Murray and White have made the difficult decision to close their doors. But everything in that store is on sale. Notable sale items as well. Now, you're going to have to go to Murray and White to see if they have any available here. But uh, Veluspa and Nest Fragrance brand candles are 20% off. Ben, how many candles were there when you last went? Uh, there were a lot. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Don't take them all, Candleman. Uh, all right. So yeah. Veluspa and Nest Fragrance brand candles, 20% off. These <laughs> lines can rarely be found on sale. So while 20% isn't the largest discount, lover of both of these popular candle lines like Ben have been <laughs> buying them up. Leave some for some others, Ben, please. All, right. all rugs are 30% off in store and new orders through June 1st. All floor sample furniture is 30 to 50% off. Antique furniture pieces 40 to 50% off. Pillows 40% off. Picture frames 40% off. And jewelry 40 to 50% off. Mirrors and wall art are 30 to 50% off. You don't have to worry about any of these items by the way. It's just the candles <laughs> that Ben just yeah, buys up. Candles. Oh my goodness. Tell me more about it. Uh, mirrors and wall art, 30 to 50% off. Home decor and accessories and more, 20 to 60% off. Once again, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White have made the difficult decision to close their doors. But right now, everything is on sale. Go see him, Murray and White in Andersonville. Ben, please save some candles <laughs> for the rest of the patrons. Okay, will do. I'll try. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home, uh, Candleman. Okay, that's super cool. Music means we're almost done with the show, not done yet. But I just want to say, Anil Shablani, the guy is not only a brilliant lawyer who's come up with this uh, TIFF lawsuit that may strike a blow to this dastardly program, he also plays a mean piano. That's Yeah, that's him on the piano right there. Man, he's good. These lawyers, they got so many hidden talents. Who knew? Anyway, all right, Amisha Patel's in the studio. You're not going to let her leave without asking her about the issues of the day. I'm not going to let the Chicago's greatest grassroots organizer leave without asking her about, oh, elected school board. All right, now let me, this is the my theory, my thought. I uh, sort of trotted this out at the break. Um, it's this. There's a principle for an elected school board that people have been advocating for a long time in the city of Chicago, at least for the last eight years or so. Uh, and uh, Lori Lightfoot, the newly elected mayor is against that principle, or at least at the, she doesn't like the current bill, and she's stalling, and it probably won't pass this year as a result. On the other hand, 
she has uh, a nominated, I guess, uh, Miguel de Valle, who is uh, a liberal state senator for many years and ran for mayor as a reformer. And uh, he's, he's one of my favorite politicians uh, down through the years. So does the principle of an elected school board go out the window if the mayor appoints a school board chieftain uh, that you like? What's your thoughts on that? Not at all. I think, um, you know, we, we pushed and many people pushed to make sure we were clearly going to have a new appointed board until we had the elected board, right? So um, the move to have uh, Miguel Del Valle as the board president, I think, does signal a really sharp shift from their, their predecessor. Again, we talked earlier about that, of just having a corporate CEO as the head of that Um uh, the head of the school system has been a real problem. And so having Miguel Del Valle there is significant. We'll see what other board members she, you know, wants to, you, she nominates to fill out the school board. And so, because there are key decisions that that board needs to be making now. And Del Valle himself has said, you know, I'm, I'm only doing this until there is an, an elected representative school board. So I think um, that is still the, the thing that we need to move towards, which is that people actually having direct accountability um, to who is running the school system and making huge decisions that impact um, ev you know, everyone's lives, really, because what happens with the schools affects the whole neighborhood and community. So um, that work will continue to, you know, continue to move forward. And I would say, I would really hope that um, Lightfoot would really listen and follow the lead of community residents, parents, teachers who've been organizing on this issue for years. And there's a reason why they're calling for a 21 seat, you know, a 21 seated member board. There's there's re, there's a lot of thinking and, and that has gone into the proposal that is, you know, that has been moved out of the House, but is, you know, installed in the Senate because Lightfoot doesn't want it to move. So mm. this is, a, you know, it's yes, she's moving in a different direction in a lot of ways so far. And there are places like and I think in education where she, it really is about listening and following the lead of people who've been on the ground fighting for these things for years. And their and and listening to what parents and teachers have been working on because um, she doesn't know everything. There's no way, mm -hmm. right, that anyone can know anything, and she certainly doesn't have all the answers. And I think it, this is an important place for her to really follow and not just you know decide how how she wants it to go. Well, one thing uh, that would be changing in, in the short term uh, if Miguel Devay is the president of the school board, and this relates to your lawsuit. Follow me on this. Uh, it's my position has always been that the taxing bodies are injured by TIFs because money is diverted from them. The schools would be at the top of the list because most of the money gets diverted from the schools. So if they allow public dollars, follow me, Misha, what I'm about to say, if they allow the city of Chicago uh, rules against your lawsuit and allows uh, the, the county court, I should say, uh, a judge rules against your lawsuit and allows uh, money to be diverted from the public schools to construct the Lincoln Yards development, effectively, they'll be uh, forcing the Board of Education to find some way of educating the people who live, the kids who live uh, in that uh, community, in that Lincoln Yards, but they will not be providing them the money to do so. So essentially, they're going to be asking the Board of Education to provide a service that they're they're losing money on the deal, but they'll be having to provide a service. Same thing for the police department, who has to police the project, and the fire department. So it would be encouraging to know if what Miguel Devay's thoughts on this are. Maybe he would join your lawsuit. 
we would welcome Miguel Del Valle to join our lawsuit. I think I can safely say, I'm, I mean, it's true. The irony of how TIFs have worked is that the sister agencies are deeply affected by um, every time a TIF, a TIF project goes forward that takes money away from where it should be going. Because again, our everyone's taxes go up, but it's also that there's there is less money. And the city will what Rahm Emanuel said for years was no, but we are spending the TIF dollars on schools. But again, you know, and you've you've we still you know cite a lot of the work you've done, Ben, that like the map, I think, you know, of like where TIF dollars are being spent in the city and the fact that they are concentrated in downtown and near downtown communities. Um, all of this is means that there are again are you know instead of reducing inequalities, it is actually expanding mm-hmm. inequality and making it worse. All right. Well, we can hope Miguel Devay uh, joins the lawsuit. That would be pretty funny. All right. Now, uh, other uh, tr- uh, events under Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot today, the city council had a meeting and they by voice vote, I'd love this the voice vote, <laughs> they were too chicken to take a roll call, uh, approved her uh, committee structure, all the chairs of her committee. Uh, and uh, so, for instance, Scotty Wagesback is now the chairman of the finance. Uh, Ed Burke is nothing uh, but an alderman. Not that they are nothing, but whatever. Um, so your general thoughts on what she's doing with the city council? Well, you know, speaking of Wagesback and finance and connecting back to the lawsuit, um, it was I was really disappointed to see that she took TIF, pro- like oversight over TIF programs out of finance. Um, and into economic development, when you actually have now finally the alderman who has been at the forefront of fighting for TIF reform and TIF accountability and the opportunity to make some real, you know, to have a big ally in leadership to push forward um, the kinds of changes we need to see. And that just got moved away from him and moved to, um, I think, Viegas. Yes, and so, Viegas. So that's, you know, I don't get that. And you can, whatever about, well, that's more appropriate for economic development. It doesn't make sense to me that, and I feel like that's a, it's definitely a step backwards to have done that. Um, but, you know, I think there are some, we actually just sent out um, an email to all of our supporters um, asking people to contact um, all 17 chairs of the new 17 chairs of the committees, asking them to sign on to an ethics pledge that would say that they will not take dollars from, um, uh, from people who are, you know, contributions from folks who have, would have a conflict of interest with their committee. So, you know, AKA Danny Solis um, or other at Burke or a n- number of other aldermen who have used their positions to actually fundraise and profit for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we have asked, you know, part of it is asking them to sign on and commit to racial equity and all the decisions that they make in their, in their committees. So we have a list of things that we're trying to move out to say, okay, so here's the committees. I don't, you know, some of them are, I think I'm excited about some, I'm like, why are you the head of that committee? Um, <laughs> yeah. But overall can like, we want, okay, well commit to the set of, if you're going to do that job then commit to the set of basic principles and agreements about how, that you will function in the interest of communities that live in the entire city because if you're a committee chair you're not just responsible to the folks in your neighborhood you have a citywide responsibility you should have an open door to folk residents from across the city to engage with you about those committee issues so um, we'll see what happens um, we're, we're just we're moving that out um, to try to get traction and, and hope that committee chairs will agree to 
to signing on to these principles. All right. They seem uh, pretty straightforward, uh, but only in the city of Chicago with the resistance. Uh, what else you got on your agenda, Misha? Well, I think connected uh, on the city council, uh, we're, uh, there's a set of legislation that is going to move in the next couple of months. Um, Grassroots Collaborative is leading one of them, which is $15 by 2021. Our campaign four years ago was to win $15 um, uh, in Chicago and Rob moved from 11 to 13, but not to, and so we're here to finish that job and to get to 15 in two years because Pritzker, the statewide minimum wage goes up to $15 in 2025 doesn't make sense for Chicago residents to not have a, a raise for all of those years. Um, and clearly, of course, higher cost of living. So we're excited about and um, look forward to people, you know, to, to passing that with strong majorities. Um, affordable housing bills, like uh, Coalition for the Homeless, pushing forward to make sure that there's, you know, key funding um, for homelessness from folks who, who buy luxury houses. Um, it's, again, feels like a, it's a no-brainer. Um, there's a range of different pieces that are really exciting. Um, TIF surplus Plus, again, we, we shouldn't just have an executive order. We need legislation that actually reforms um, the TIF, that makes very clear where TIF, TIF dollars should go so they don't pool into giant slush funds. So it's exciting. It's, I think we're excited about the new council. Um, you get, you know, we had many incumbent aldermen before they, the new aldermen who weren't even in, in office yet who took, did civil disobedience with us the day that the Lincoln Yards vote happened. Um, we're really excited about legislating with a crew of aldermen who come from communities and neighborhoods and campaigns. So that's all happening at the city level. And then we had this big win at the state level, a campaign that Grassroots Collaborative and many others have been working on for a decade, which is um, finally getting a constitutional amendment um, question on our ballot in November 2020, which basically says, do you think that rich people should pay more on of um, on a state income tax and lower income people should pay less? And this, you know, we are still waiting on the rate structures, but this will raise, you know, over three billion dollars of money that um, from the wealthiest folks in the state to pay their fair share, like almost every other state in this country already does, like we already do for our federal taxes, and is about stabilizing our our cities and states, but also having revenue to pay for the things that we all need, mm -hmm. um, and to repair the years of damage under the Ronner administration. But frankly, even Quinn and you know governors before who've been steadily cutting education, healthcare, human services, and it's you know it's a moment where we can finally start to actually rebuild. Um, and make everything better for, for, make things better for so many people. You know, uh, I, just listening to you run down these things, I'm thinking, I've been on the losing side of pretty much every initiative, going back to the uh, to the day when Harold Washington left, uh, when he died, and it's just, for the first time in my like adult lifetime, it seems as though, uh, lefties or whatever we're called these days are getting some victories. I gotta give a, a shout out to Pritzker, uh, I did not vote for him in the primary, JB, uh, I, but you know, but I voted for him in the general. And the guy has delivered on that fair tax. Uh, he forced Madigan uh, to go along with it as well. Uh, you know the game they played. Amisha is always somehow or other. Never, <laughs> he could never get it past Madigan because he, yeah, he was looking out for his caucus members. He didn't want them to vote on that. Uh, but. Pritzker Trump them, and we have it on the uh, on the ballot. So I have to give a little shout out to Pritzker on that one. After years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back, <laughs> and right. we're open for business. All right, calm down, JB. I don't go that far, but anyway. Open, uh, anyway, so uh, are you encouraged as well? Or you know, it's hard to say encouraged when you're like a progressive or whatever we are. But are you, are you feeling a little more encouraged these days? 
I mean, I think it's a really exciting moment in Chicago and in the state where, you know, again, the campaigns that many of us have been working on for decades before I came, you know, started doing this work that, you know, we're starting to see, again, it's a long arc and we're starting to see some good shifts. There's so much more ahead of us and there's so much more to do, but it is, um, it is very encouraging to finally have some of the stuff that has felt you know, like basic, of course, no brainers. Um, but even, you know, again, I remember when we first started talking about $15, people were like, that's, you know, that's too much. What are you talking about? There was a Sun-Times journalist, actually, who um, was like, scoffed at me, was like, there's no way, you know, like you're just, you know, pie in the sky. And then he later apologized because when we, it was actually happening. And I mean, I just think, again, it's this quite like we need big, bold ideas and we need to be audacious. That is a role of community organizers. And we are seeing and, you know, of course, you know, elections matter and we see the difference. But those elections and those people are coming off of years and years of organizing of, you know, p- folks who didn't have a, don't have a lot of resources but have been like in motion in the streets fighting for the things that they know that they that that, that people need and and we are here today because of that that legacy of organizing I, in the city and i have to give a shout out to a good friend of mine madeline talbot she's too shy to give a shout out to herself she was she was the one who created the fight for 15 nobody gives her any credit madeline you're my girl she fought for it and it's amazing that it's now taken on uh, the the momentum that it has it's i mean their mayor lightfoot probably won't resist it like what mayor rom did all the games he played yeah (laughs) madeline's amazing madeline's amazing it's like you know i mean her work really comes i mean it just sparked such a movement across across the country and it's you know she's our own um one of the founders of the collaborative like she's incredible and yeah i mean we're we're excited lightfoot uh yesterday recommitted in her support of 15 dollars by 2021 the question will be the details we're fighting to get as many people in as possible. So we want to get rid of the tipped the tipped wage so that tipped workers eventually have the same minimum wage as everyone else right now. A lot of people don't know, right? Tipped workers get paid much less. Um, we want to include young people. There's a youth wage. So even young people get paid less for their work than adults do. Sister agencies right now. So if you're a CP, you know, if you're with the Chicago Park District, the minimum wage win that we won in Chicago doesn't actually apply to you. So there's a bunch of changes we're trying to make with this legislation to bring as many people in as possible so that everyone has the ability to have, you know, a better shot at raise, you know, making the money that they need to take care of their families. So I think that's going to be the fight. We're going to see a $15 minimum wage in 2021, and our fight is to make sure as many people are in as possible. All right, very good. Amisha Patel, that's uh, good news. Grassroots Collaborative, thanks for coming on. Anil Shablani from the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, I want you to do your yoga and eat lots of healthy food because you're in for a big fight with that uh, TIF lawsuit. Although maybe not. Mayor Mayor Lightfoot may say, hey, I agree with uh, Anil, and man... I don't know what I would do that. I'd probably pass out. Uh, but thanks for coming on and thank explaining you, things. Also want to thank Monroe Anderson and Atibu Buchanan, wherever they are, for doing a great job. Uh, Leah, our marvelous uh, uh, editor, d- uh, does a wonderful job as all, uh, every day. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. They call him White Lightning. Oh, yeah. You're <laughs> the only G. one that calls me that. <laughs> Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 
Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. We are having a caption contest. Uh, Mayor Rom, J.B. Pritzker caption contest. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page and leave us your captions at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. We'll be reading more of your captions tomorrow. And at the end of tomorrow's program, we will announce our three winners. And those winners will go see Cirque du Soleil Volta at Soldier Field. 